Hello, everybody. It's uh, Stefan Molyneux. Uh, this is uh, the uh, mythical but not quite podcast 500. Um, we're actually podcast 506 or 507. I've got a few in the can uh, that are waiting up on uh, uh, me to get some stuff finished. So um, thank you all so much for joining. I really appreciate it. This is Stefan Molyneux, uh, host of uh, Free Domain Radio, uh, the one uh, of the few in-car shows in the history of the world, I think. And uh, thank you so much for joining. Uh, really uh, welcoming everyone who is who has joined recently on the boards. We're up to, I don't know, 310 board members. We've had a jump of 50 or 60 over the past week or two, and that's good. Uh, so I really appreciate that, the people joining in, the fantastic conversation that's going on there. And the way that this is going to work for the people who are just joining uh, who haven't been uh, in before, uh, the way that it's going to work is that uh, there is a chat uh, that is running along, and um, you're welcome to join that and to... Um, uh, to post questions there, unfortunately, there is a wide variety of noise and static uh, when I unmute everyone. So if you do have a question or a comment, uh, hello, <laughs> I really appreciate it. But um, if uh, I'm going to have to just ask you to go into the chat window to, uh, to do that, uh, just because otherwise uh, we get the noise of infinite worldwide static, like we're listening to every bad dream on the brain of the planet. So uh, we'll do it that way. Um, now, you can also uh, try your self-mute, which would be helpful as well. Uh, Self-restraint would be excellent in this area. Uh, I certainly don't have any problem uh, with you um, uh, being on the, uh, uh, you know, sort of being more proactive in your chat. But uh, unfortunately, uh, if you have a self-mute, that would be excellent. I'm just going to try and unmute. There's a little mute button there. Uh, if you could do that while you're not talking, that would be beyond excellent. Let me just end. Uh, I'm trying to. Uh, it's not the best thing in the world to uh, to work with Skype to do this mute and unmute thing. It's kind of sluggish. All right. So I'm afraid I'm going to have to go back to the mute. So anyway, just as we get started here. Okay. So let's uh, let's get started. Um, what I'd like to do today is to go over a little bit in the realm of um, uh, agnosticism versus atheism versus religiosity uh, and sort of share a couple of my thoughts about it. I did a pre-podcast on this earlier this week, so uh, if, you, if you download that one, you might notice a few similarities. But I wanted to go over a couple of themes that I see as relevant or valuable in the realm of agnosticism versus atheism so that uh, if you are interested in these kinds of topics, that there is some uh, structure or some layout of thoughts that might be of use to you. Now, of course, we've got no problem with the idea of religiosity, that somebody believes in a, a god or a deity, uh, usually monotheistic, although I guess we have a Wiccan, and Wiccanism is the fastest growing religion in the United States, so there are some options around that, I guess you could say. But uh, more, uh, more importantly, we have the two worlds of, of atheism and agnosticism. Now, uh, agnosticism, and let me start with atheism, actually a little bit easier. Atheism is the positive proposition that there is no God, that the deities and gods do not exist, that you cannot have things like consciousness without form and life without birth or death or any of these sorts of things. So uh, that's sort of one form of, uh, of atheism. It is a positive proposition that God does not exist. Now, an agnostic, on the other hand, is, uh, usually sort of falls into one of two categories. The first category would be usually something called a deist, and a deist is somebody who says that God does exist, but God doesn't interfere at all with creation. It's also known as the sort of watchmaker theory, like God just wound up creation at the beginning of time, and it's sort of ticking on its merry way through to its conclusion without any particular interference uh, from God at all. And this was uh, very common in the 18th century. It was 
the majority of the beliefs of the people who founded the United States of America was not Christianity but deism. So there was no point praying because God didn't intervene or, or, um, or interfere in human life, and it really was a way of explaining the origin of the universe without getting into some of the complications of organized religion. So that's sort of one aspect of uh, an agnostic. Now, the second aspect of an agnostic is somebody who says that no meaningful statements whatsoever can be made about the existence or the non-existence of God. So... You can't say that God does exist. You can't say that God doesn't exist because there's no particular logic or sense or empirical test whatsoever to say that God does or does not exist. There's no way that this can ever be proven one way or the other, and therefore the most rational, wise, and intelligent response to the question of the existence of God is simply to sit back and look upon the atheists and the religious people sort of like they're squabbling children and you're the wise mother who's sitting back and saying, you know, I don't care who's right, I don't care who's wrong, y'all kids just better stop fighting now, you hear? So that, I think, is, is sort of the, the sort of three areas, right? There is a God and he interferes, there is a God and he doesn't interfere, and there is no God at all. Now, to talk about the term atheist for just a moment, um, it is one of these problematic terms. Uh, and it is a real challenge for people who are atheists to deal with this term in a way that is not annoying either to the atheists or to those who are criticizing or questioning the atheist position. The reason, of course, is that the root of the word atheist is against God, anti-God. Like asymmetrical is um, non-symmetrical, of course. So A is sort of anti. And um, so when a person says that there is no God rather than we can't decide or who knows or who cares or it's a personal belief or this or that. When somebody says, puts forward a positive proposition that there is no God, then that person is put into the camp of atheist. And the problem with that, I think, or at least the problem that I'd like to put forward and uh, talk about is that if you are uh, sort of scientific or take a rational approach to talking and thinking about the world, it's not that you sort of, you know, a rationalist doesn't sort of wake up in the morning and sort of, you know, scratch uh, whatever's itching and stretch whatever's cramped, look around and say, I am now going to be against God, right? Any more, I would say, than if, even if you're religious, you don't wake up every morning and say, uh, you know, scratch what itches and stretch what cramps and say, you know what, I'm, I'm really going to focus all my energies on being against leprechauns today, right? It wouldn't really make any sense. Now, it certainly would be the case that if you were scientific and took scientific methodologies as valid approaches to saying that something is true or false, then it would be a natural consequence of that scientific approach to life that you would not believe in leprechauns, right? I mean, that would be an inevitable consequence. Now, if you look at it sort of like grammar, like typing, right? So we've got, we got 100 monkeys in a room, right? So obviously the window's open. We have 100 monkeys in a room, and they're all, you know, typing for bananas. Uh, sometimes this is uh, fairly close to my grad school situation, but we can get back into that another time. And they're all typing for bananas. And these, these monkeys are, you know, chittering and exciting and jumping up and down on their hind feet or hands or whatever the hell you call them. And they're typing madly away on their typewriters. Now, of these 100 monkeys, every now and then you're going to get a sentence. 
right? Just, just out of the sheer random fluke of everything, you're going to get a sentence out of these random monkeys. And if you are interested in sort of grammar, logical sentence structure, you'll go, okay, well, that's a sentence. So we have 10,000 nonsense pages, and we have one sentence. Now, I don't think that it would make much sense if you were sort of interested in grammar and so on to say, okay, we have one sentence here, and we have uh, 999 nonsense sentences. I really hate sentence number 500. I, I am anti-sentence 500. It's not even that I'm pro the logical sentence, like that makes sense and it's logical, but I'm really, really, really anti Sentence 500, because that's the one that makes no sense. But of course, they all make no sense, except for the one that just happens to make sense. So the problem with the term atheism, and the reason why I think it leads people to a lot of confusion, is that it is defined as being somebody who's against God. And that's really not the case with atheists. I mean, I guess there are a few uh, who, I don't know, like rabidly anti-God and so on, but atheism is really a byproduct of a whole load of other philosophical ideas around the need to validate things through uh, sensual evidence, right? So if you can't sort of touch, taste, or feel it and so on, then it's not, uh, it's not true. Uh, it doesn't exist. If it's illogical or if it's self-contradictory, then it doesn't exist and so on. And so a logical uh, Euclidean geometrist would say that a square circle does not exist, right? Uh, a, a, a mathematician or somebody who's into, into geometry is not going to say, well, I don't know whether a square circle exists. They're going to say, well, a square circle doesn't exist because it's a contradictory notion. Right? So uh, I think that uh, the, the question of saying, is it valid logically and scientifically to say that God may or may not exist, there's nothing sensible that can be said about it, or that an atheist is defined as somebody who's against the idea of religion or God, is, I think, a false idea. It is something that is very problematic, and it puts a lot of confusion into this realm. Because, I mean, I'm sure it's no great shock here that um, I am uh, what you would call an atheist, but I don't really think of myself uh, that way. I think of myself as an angel of pure dance. No, wait. Sorry, that's a different show. Um, I think of myself as uh, somebody who's interested in rationality and logic and, and so on, and use, uh, the use of the scientific method in, in philosophy as well as in all, you know, all the hard sciences. And so as a consequence of being interested in evidence and reason, you uh, have to get rid of the concept of God. But you don't sort of focus on the concept of God, right? Like if you're driving from New York to Chicago, you don't say, well, the sole purpose of my journey is to drive away from London, England. Right? No, it's not the case. You do happen to be driving away from London, England when you're driving from New York to Chicago, but that's not the purpose and, and, and definition of your journey. You just happen to be going away from London, England because you want to get to Chicago. And in the same way, when you use the scientific method and you use rational philosophy to determine or to, to evaluate the truth value of propositions, 2 plus 2 is 4 versus 2 plus 2 equals a flying fish, then you are inevitably led away from the concepts of supernatural beings like gods and, and devils and gremlins and, and uh, leprechauns and unicorns and so on, and pegasus and griffins and uh, banshees and nymphs and dryads, and, you know, you could go on and on. It seems to be quite a cottage industry of this, uh, except for hobbits. Um, but there really is, uh, it's not that you're against these things at all, right, any more than 
you know, you're against Santa Claus. I mean, <laughs> nobody sort of wakes up and says, damn that jolly fat fellow, I'm going to bring him down because he represents all that's evil in the world. Although I think Santa is an anagram of Satan, which will be next, uh, next show's topic. But um, uh, it's not that uh, atheists are against God or anything like that. It's just that if you're going to have a standard for proof and disproof and not just say whatever anyone says goes, which, of course, makes nothing true, right? If it's like anyone anything says, anything anyone says goes and that the truth is just whatever people happen to say, then there is no such thing as truth, right? Then even saying that anything anyone says is true is not itself true. Right, because then somebody it's just a subjective opinion of yours. So you either sort of have logical empirical truth or you don't. Uh, there's not a sort of lot of halfway uh, measures there. And if you do have it, then you're kind of driving from New York to Chicago, which means that you're leaving a whole bunch of stuff behind. But that's not why you're doing it. Uh, that's not why you're doing it at all. Now, the last thing that I'll sort of say before turning it open uh, to uh, uh, to uh, our cardinals who've joined us is that. Uh, agnostics, uh, in my view, and this is in my humble opinion, so I'm sort of putting my bias right up out front here on the table, uh, so I hope that uh, you can let me know if I'm being unfair uh, to religious people or to agnostics in particular. Uh, I, I sort of view agnosticism as a horrible form of intellectual cowardice. I view agnosticism as more irritating than religious fundamentalism. I view agnosticism uh, with a peculiar kind of disgust verging on hatred. So <laughs> I apologize if you are an agnostic. This doesn't mean that my opinion is true. I'm just sort of putting my bias, uh, if, it, if that's what it is, sort of right up front here. And the reason that I feel that way about agnostics, uh, because agnostics simply refuse to make a decision, in my viewpoint, at least a Christian or a Muslim or whoever are saying God does exist and he loves me and he hates you, at least that's a positive proposition that you can kind of get behind and get into. But um, uh, the, uh, the agnostics uh, simply won't come down on either side of perhaps the most important offense in the world, which is science versus faith. But the reason that uh, I, I really dislike them is because this is the only place in their life that the agnostics use this particular methodology, right? So let's just say I set up an eBay shop for agnostics. And I set up an eBay, and I say, I'm selling special agnostic iPods for uh, $100. They're 80 gig iPods with the nice TFT screens and all that kind of juicy stuff. But only, only agnostics can apply. Then uh, I say 100 bucks, and they send me a, so agnostic guy, we'll call him Steve. Steve sends me 100 bucks, and I send him a box, right? And uh, Steve says, "Huh, okay, great. My agnostic iPod is here." And so Steve opens up the box, and there's a lot of packing foam, right? And he roots in with his excited agnostic fingers into the box of packing foam. And uh, unfortunately, uh, all he comes back with is the fingers he went in with because there's no iPod in the packing phone, right? And, um, and uh, he then sends me a, a bitter uh, and angry email saying, I didn't send you, um, you didn't send me your, uh, the iPod that I paid you for, you eBay bastard, I'm gonna, you know, you're a nasty guy. And uh, I write back to him and say, I, I did, I did, <laughs> I did send you the, the, uh, uh, the iPod. And he says, you did not. It's an empty box. You want me to send you a photo of this box? And I say, uh, no, it's in there. It's just, uh, it's invisible. 
And he says, well, what do you mean it's invisible? I didn't ask for an invisible iPod. And I'm like, well, write down the fine print. It says that the iPod is invisible. And he says, well, okay, if it's invisible, how come I can't touch it? And I say, well, because it's not only invisible, it's also incorporeal. You can't touch it. Right? And it's like, what? <laughs> I say, well, you can't see it and you can't touch it. Oh, and just in case you're going to ask me this next, you also can't um, see it on any infrared device. Uh, that, that You can't measure its gravity. You can't measure its weight. You can't measure its dimension. It doesn't give off any electrical signals. There's simply no possible way to, um, uh, to, to detect the iPod, but it's really there. Now, I ask you, you know, as reasonable, intelligent, thinking human beings, would the agnostic then say, well, I guess you're right. There's no real way to determine <laughs> whether this iPod is here or not, so I'm not going to ask for a refund because I don't know whether or not you sent me the iPod. I mean, just we're not asking for brain surgery here. We're just asking for a little consistency with how people live their lives. We're just asking for a little consistency in how people live their lives. Adam Smith said something in the realm of economics where he said, what is prudence in the affairs of a household can scarcely be folly in the affairs of a great kingdom. Yes, all we're asking is for people to uh, have a little bit of consistency between how they live in the details and how they live in the grand philosophy of things, right? So where Adam Smith said, what is prudence in the affairs of a, a household can scarcely be folly in the affairs of a great kingdom. So if you run up more debt than you can pay, that's a bad idea for you. So how could it be a good idea for a country to do it? Well, the same thing is true in the realm of philosophy. If you're going to be shipped an empty box and not then say, well, I don't know if I have an iPod or not, but say, come on, who are you trying to kid, you scam artist, you, you mid-Atlantic accented uh, flim-flam guy? Of course you didn't send me the uh, – you'd laugh at somebody like that, right? But uh, that's really all that's being asked for in the realm of philosophy is for people uh, to accept that if somebody ships them something as an empty box and they don't remain, uh, they, they say, well, there's no way I can answer that, then, of course, they're kind of not mentally well, right? So why would it be in the realm of determining the existence or non-existence of something? Why would we have these two enormously different methodologies? I mean, uh, the one is, of course, the basic scientific method extrapolating from the evidence of the senses, using the faculty of reason, looking for experiments and reproducibility and so on. Oh, look at that. We're back. Okay, sorry about that. Uh, uh, I'm not sure that I want to go to the beta, given that this is what happens with the real software, but uh, uh, I will edit that out. I do apologize for that uh, exciting blast of sound. But um, all we're really asking for when it comes to uh, agnosticism is for people to apply the same standards of truth to, um, to the question of the existence of God as they would to the existence of every other proposition in the world. Why would there logically be this massive counter-exception to this argument that you do need to have some rigor and logic and proof behind the existence of, of a certain thing? And, of course, not only uh, is there no proof of the existence of God and cons conspicuous counterproof, uh, certainly around the virtue of God, but uh, even more importantly, God himself is a blatantly self-contradictory notion. And, of course, if I were to go up to a group of biologists and I were to say, ah, my, I am a biologist, uh, I sort of went to my own university, but I'm really good, and what I've done is I have uh, found uh, and classified a fish. It's a new species of fish, and it has feathers, 
and it flies through the air, and it lives in trees. I don't really think that the biologists would say, well, I guess we can't really determine whether or not that exists or not. Uh, what they'd say is, well, you may have found something, but it sure as heck isn't a fish. What you've described there is a bird, right? So if you, or if I say to a physicist, uh, I believe that, uh, or I have proof that something exists, we'll call it a quaxar, that the quaxar exists, and uh, it has, um, it has a, a gravity without mass, but every time you try and measure the mass, it switches to gravity, and every time you try and measure the ma uh, gravity, it switches back to mass faster than you can think, right, and, and put up all of these negative proofs for something existing. Of course, the physicist isn't going to say, well, I don't know whether what you're talking about exists or not. The physicist is going to say, no, unfortunately, it doesn't exist. If you claim that there's, for instance, mass without gravity, then that's a self-contradictory concept, and therefore, that thing doesn't exist. So from all that standpoint, it just, this is why I sort of view it with a kind of uh, peculiar loathing. I guess it's not that peculiar, because the whole problem with agnosticism is they're creating a case of special pleading or a case of uh, a, an entirely different methodology and approach to determining whether something's true or not. And the fact that they do that around a very contentious issue like religion leads me to believe that they simply don't like arguing with people about religion. And that's fine, too. I mean, there's nothing wrong with people saying, well, you know what, I have my own opinions about the existence of God, but I don't debate them with people because it's too explosive. I've got no problem with that. That's a perfectly valid approach. I wouldn't necessarily say the most courageous, but I could certainly respect the approach. But that's not what agnostics do. What agnostics do is they say um, there is, uh, it is a logical error to, uh, to say that there is a God or is not a God. Right? So they, they make a virtue out of withholding themselves from the fray, and I think that's the part that bothers me the most about the, uh, the agnostics. So. All right. How far did I get before I got cut off? Uh, you had just ended up agreeing with me. Ah, excellent. Then, well, then you said you were going to be blacking out for a little while and then coming back. I'm sorry, you, you, had, you had gotten to the part where you were talking about a Christian putting forward the proposition that there is a God, and then uh, you were mysteriously silenced from above. <laughs> so the, uh, this God that doesn't exist just silenced me in the middle of proving... No, anyway. Um, what I was saying is that a Christian puts forward a theory stating that, okay, God exists, and here's his description. I will give you all his qualities and stuff like that. Well, then... It's pretty easy to blow a hole in that theory and say, okay, no, that's an incorrect theory. Thanks for trying. Uh, an atheist comes along and says, okay, there is no such thing as God at all, and here's a bunch of stuff. Well, you know, since there may be something completely beyond human, you know, ability to recognize or to see or to experience or whatever, we don't know. And so the, or the agnostic says, well, I don't really see any evidence for any of this stuff in the supernatural realm. So why would I bother putting forward a theory at all? I mean, it just—it's not like we have to go around, um, you know, yelling and screaming that. Uh, I'm sorry, that's kind of a passive-aggressive language there. But what, we don't go around saying that I am an a elfist, I am an a, you know, trollist, I am an a unicornist. We just don't bother saying that there's a unicorn out there or there's not a unicorn out there. It's just because no one's ever seen one, so why bother talking about it? Right. People so debate yeah, Zeus a lot. Yeah, so it's kind of like, you know, I don't think that being an agnostic is really inconsistent. I think it's very consistent because, I mean, I, I didn't, or people weren't able to see x-rays before they developed x-ray film and stuff like that, or they were able to somehow other, some other way detect it, but that didn't mean that x-rays didn't exist. It just means that no one ever said, hey, there's something called an x-ray. And so right. an agnostic is just saying, well, you know, so far we don't 
have anything called a god, but just because we haven't detected it yet doesn't mean it's not there. You know? Right. Okay, uh, that's a perfectly valid viewpoint. Uh, let me uh, take a stab at it, and then you can let me know uh, what uh, what you think. Um, well, the reason that we don't say that we're a trollish or against trolls or Nazgul or whatever is because there is, uh, you know, and this is a bit of a practical argument. You can sort of accept it or not. I'm not going to say this is a clincher, but um, it's because there really aren't those people out there, right? I mean, there aren't a whole lot of people out there who believe in Zeus and wage war and, you know, get all this uh, high dudgeon about the existence of the gods of Olympus. And so given that people don't really believe in that era, then there doesn't really seem to be much point going around disproving it. Like a scientist is going to want to push forward the frontiers of knowledge. They're not going to want to go back and disprove medieval alchemy because nobody really posits it or invests any time or energy into it. So it's not a debate that I think needs to, be, uh, to occur. I would absolutely agree with you that why would you want to put the time into disproving uh, something like that because nobody believes in it. Like, it's not a lot, lot of debates about slavery anymore, except at my house on chore day. But... Um, on the, on the other hand, though, uh, religious belief is um, uh, enormous and incredibly uh, influential and powerful uh, throughout the world, and there has been some pretty credible estimates, although, of course, there's a lot of fringe statistics that are hard to pin down, credible estimates that about a, up to a, close to a billion people have been murdered in religious wars throughout history. So I think that by saying that religion is not something that a thinker needs to address and to oppose, uh, I think is to, just from a practical standpoint, um, it seems a little bit, uh, um, gee, and I, I don't mean this in terms of you, I'm just sort of talking the abstract, it seems a little selfish. You know, like if there's a plague going on and a doctor says, I'd rather play golf, I mean, you know, in a sense that seems kind of selfish and there is a sort of plague of religion in the world in my view. And so I think that people do need to uh, take a more positive approach to debunking that. And the second thing that I would say, uh, before turning it back to you, is that x-rays don't, like the, if somebody posits the existence of x-rays, that does not contradict any of the known facts of nature, right? So if somebody says, uh, yeah, there are these things called z-rays or something like that, and that's what Superman uses to look at women's underwear, then... Um, of course, we're all going to feel a moment of envy, and then we're going to continue on, and we're going to say, well, okay, how do these things work, and so on. And if, if somebody puts that forward, and uh, that doesn't contradict any of the existing known laws of physics or biology, then uh, I think we'd all be like, well, you know, good luck, heavy burden of proof, I'll certainly buy the sunglasses, but, um, you know, that's not impossible. But uh, the problem with the positive uh, proposition that consciousness exists without matter, that life exists without material form, that a mind exists without matter, that life exists that never, well, you know, that didn't, um, uh, was never born and will never die. And, you know, these things which we've talked about in the show before, the contradiction between omniscience and omnipotence, so that if God knows everything, then God knows everything that's going to happen in the future, which means that God can't change it, which means that um, God can't be both all-powerful and all-knowing at the same time. That kind of stuff. I think that's where uh, it really is then, uh, you know, a, a, a big mathematical theorem may or may not be true. And, you know, if somebody's not a very good mathematician, we may, may not spend a lot of time doing that. But if we see at the very bottom that their first premise is that 2 plus 2 is 5, then I think we, we, we can't just say, well, I can't decide now. Right. I think uh, all that makes perfect sense when you talk about the omniscience and omnipresence and, you know, all that stuff is abs I'm completely on, on track with you on that one. Um, I guess what I'm 
more or less referring to is that when we refer to the supernatural, we may just be referring to something that is not yet known to be natural because anything that does exist obviously is natural. There's no there's no supernature in stuff that exists. Um, well, you've never seen me break dance, but I think I understand what you're saying. <laughs> Maybe that's super freak. I don't know. <laughs> but, <laughs> Absolutely. But uh, no. But what, I, what I'm trying to say though is that you know maybe what if science someday gets its head wrapped around the uh, the whole quantum physics you know conundrum right now that they're saying that well what if we have all these different universes yada 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 is it possible perhaps that all people you know all life forms are gathered together in a giant super brain or something like that and that super brain is God because it creates the super brain creates its own universe to live in or something like that. It's like creating a dream that we then live in or something, and we're all just these little neurons playing around in it. You know, we don't know any of that stuff, and we probably won't for a long, long time. But, you know, is that does that fit a description of God? Well, probably not the, you know, the traditional one, but it, it certainly doesn't really fit. It doesn't jive so much with our current uh, understanding of, of the natural world. So, there just may be some new, you know, physical laws that we just haven't discovered yet, but they're still playing a, an active role right now. Now, does that describe God? Who knows? But, uh, you know, I'm not saying that there's a, a being out there, like you said, an omniscient being that's all-powerful and all stuff like that. No, I absolutely agree with you. There's, there isn't that because it's impossible. Um, but, uh, you know, again, I'm just going to go on to this other thing when you said that there's a doctor playing golf rather than helping people during a plague. Well, we're still kind of, I think we're doing this uh, at least consistently with what we've been talking about on the rest of Free Domain Radio here, too, is that when we have messed up families that uh, it's pretty apparent that they're not going to you know, fix themselves, then we defoo from them. And so we have a bunch of messed up people who are not going to fix themselves with regard to their messed up religions. So we can pretty much just walk away from them, too. Do we have to engage with them all the time, or, or can we sort of, I guess, be food from the religious people? That's my question. Well, a good, uh, a good turn in the conversation. I wasn't expecting that, but that's, that's no problem. I appreciate that. Let me just jump back to your first one, though, because it's a lot easier to answer. And what I'll do is I'll spend a really long time answering it with the hopes that you have then forgotten your second question. Uh, so I'll just be perfectly upfront with you about that. So, uh, you know, I'd like to sort of be, be clear uh, about that. But if it were the case, and I know you're not putting forward anything like this as a theory, but if it were the case that we sort of came across, uh, you know, that we're all atoms in a giant brain or we're cells in a giant brain in the way that, you know, liver cells are part of our bodies and so on, if that did sort of come together and there was an aggregate of intelligence throughout the universe and so on, then sure, you could label that aggregate of intelligence a god, right? The same way that you can label an aggregate of, of fish a school. Um, but you wouldn't be inventing anything there. You wouldn't be creating anything, right? You wouldn't be, uh, there would be no, nothing would be greater than the sum of its parts, right? When you put the word around forest, around a group of trees, you don't add any more trees or atoms or anything like that. So if there was some giant brain that we were all a part of, then we would call that giant brain whatever we wanted, but it wouldn't change the physical nature of reality. And the second thing is that we, of course, haven't discovered everything in the universe, and we may never be, do so, but there is still the barrier to accepting a particular proposition in the realm of science, which is that it has to uh, identify, observe phenomenon in a non-contradictory manner. Right? So I don't think I even need to repeat that. I think that's fairly clear. 
And so we can be fairly safe in saying that science will never accept something that is innately contradictory that has no evidence, right? So if, if there is then evidence for, for God, then God won't be religious. God won't be faith-based. And everyone who believed in God prior to evidence would still have been completely incorrect, right? So if, if I have a belief that uh, all Oriental people are fabulous basketball players, right, then if I end up, uh, if it ends up being proven at some point that they all are, it would still be a kind of prejudicial bigotry, although not perhaps a very negative one, for me to believe that beforehand, right? So um, the problem is that uh, in opposing religious belief, uh, you, you're absolutely on solid ground because they propose something that is innately self-contradictory and they reject criteria for proof. So if I sort of if, you know, if I have a kid and that kid's sitting in the sand and scratches out E equals MC squared just by accident, that doesn't make the kid Einstein, right? So uh, even if uh, people have religious beliefs that turn out to be validated by science in the, in the future, they're still completely incorrect for holding those beliefs now because they're doing it using the wrong methodology. If I'm blindfolded and happen to drive through a, a, a maze of pedestrians without knocking any over, that doesn't make me a good driver. That just makes me pretty lucky because it's not reproducible, and that's the problem with religious uh, approaches to truth. Now, the second question, can I just ask you, and I don't mean to uh, put you on the spot, but uh, it seems only fair you did it to me. Um, <laughs> did, um, uh, is this an issue that you're facing yourself, that you are more on the rational side of things, not just because you listen to this show, but... No, no, it must be because you just listened to this show. Um, but uh, is this something that you're facing in your personal life, that there are religious people in your life that uh, uh, you have uh, this, this problem with? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, my, uh, both my parents are religious, and they, they keep on pretending that I'm religious too, so they ask me if I've gone, gone to church and stuff like that. Um, that's one of the main reasons that I'm looking, looking at uh, defooing myself, um, but again, the, uh, I absolutely do agree with you. I mean, I'm, I don't mean to avoid this question. I think that you're, you are aware of my, uh. We're just two people with a hot potato, aren't we? <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> so. Hey, hey, I think one of the monkeys is typing. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, okay, so continue with this. Uh, let's just stay on this for a little bit. What, what were you, uh, meaning by asking that? Well, I mean, first of all, I think it's generally more uh, relevant to, 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 so that I know sort of at, at what, um, what level of sort of immediacy to talk about, whether to be very abstract or more personal, I just, and whether it was sort of an abstract question for you, um, uh, and whether it was sort of more personal, because Ian, there are principles, which is all wonderful, and we definitely, at least I worship at the altar of principles to mix my metaphors, but... Um, when it comes to actually uh, putting them into practice in life, uh, I've certainly found in my experience in history, however pure the principles are, it's not always exactly a three-point landing bringing them to bear in my own life. Right. I guess I could say then that uh, when I think, when I'm uh, pondering this whole atheism, agnosticism question, I, I don't think that what I'm doing is trying to make excuses for myself as far as not confronting my parents and things like that on this, but what I believe that I'm doing is trying to say... Um, you know, I mean, I would, I gladly and and frequently engage in conversations with religious people, stating that no, I do not believe that your God is that your God exists, and I can explain to them why. And I do absolutely agree that um, you know the existing religions that you see around the world right now are just missing completely in their theories. You know, it's just it doesn't make any sense the way they talk about their these gods that they've created. 
but uh, also the uh, but once I've said to those people that okay your God doesn't exist I'm saying your God doesn't exist um, but then once I say that I'm pretty much done with the conversation I don't need to then go on and make my own theory about what the nature of the universe is and again I, I'm sure that when we say that uh, when we use the word God of course it's really heavily loaded with all kinds of connotation and that's probably you know I'm so when we say atheist, yes, I'm atheist in so much as theism requires the human construct of religion. Absolutely, I'm atheist in that in that sense of the word. Um, I guess I'm just um, maybe I'm just hung up on definitions. But again, the, the one thing that bothers me about saying I'm an atheist is it seems like I'm then defining myself as a derivative of the people of the other people in the world who are theists. It seems like I'm just a my my definition of myself has come as a result of someone else's erroneous uh, theories. Right, so, and you also are then associated with communists as well, which is you know pretty much on the Nazi side of the moral spectrum. So uh, there's that problem. I'm I'm atheist, but but I'm not a communist, right? Right, <laughs> that, and that's so like you know, Greg just typed into the chat here that it's a re it's a reaction formation. So that's kind of what I feel like. Why should I have to be defined as a reaction to someone else's insanity? You know. It Correct. Like, yeah, and certainly. Uh, yeah, sorry. I, I'm not sure if you caught it at the beginning. I did sort of talk about that. That that atheism as a, as an oppositional philosophy is not very satisfying in terms of creating positive uh, approaches to life. So I'm certainly with you there. Now let me uh, ask you a couple of questions, if you don't mind. You were raised religious. Uh, yeah, I was in a Lutheran church growing up. Oh dear. Yeah. Uh, honey, can uh, you send him a card? Can we just get your address? We're going to send you a. So sorry about the. Uh, and what was your experience of that as you were growing up? I remember very distinctly several times when I was growing up um, being terrified by things that I heard in church. We had we had a minister who he wasn't like complete fire and brimstone every every Sunday, but uh, every once in a while he'd be kind of fired up and and he would use very um, descriptive, uh, emotionally laden uh, language quite often. I remember just walking out of some or just being in some sermons, kind of feeling like I was trapped between my parents on either side of me on the pew there, thinking, I really don't want to be here. I want to be somewhere else. And I also remember coming home from uh, Sunday school a couple times and just thinking, I don't ever want to go back there. You know, like the, the stuff that I think I've always had a pretty decent uh, uh, compass in my head as far as, okay, this is total garbage and this seems plausible or, you know, it has truthiness to it, you know. And so I always, every time I was you know, encountering these things in church and Sunday school and stuff like that, I just kept on feeling that, you know, this is the garbage side and I just don't want to be around these people because they, they just made me genuinely uncomfortable deep down in my, you know, in my psyche, I guess. Um, I also remember um, Greg just had a post earlier uh, today about some, I guess there's a passion play theme park down in Orlando now. And uh, this jogged a memory in me that I've, I hadn't even thought of for many years. I just remembered that when I was a very, very small child, probably one of my earliest memories, my uh, parents took my brother and me to a passion play. And I guess, you know, the guy playing Jesus, all I remember from this play, I remember absolutely no other details but this, but I remember after the, the Jesus guy was crucified and put up on the cross, he thrashed around violently and screamed and stuff, and there was, you know, flashing lights and everything. It was absolutely just shocking and terrifying to me as a child. And I, you I don't was see a whole lot of that on, uh, like, the Barney TV shows. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, Barney's terrifying enough, but, man, this this is like, 
this is the stuff of nightmares for a little kid, you know? Absolutely. And so, no, I, I feel for you for sure. That, right. no, sorry, go ahead. And so I was just saying on that, the, uh, uh, I lost my word for this, on the forums today, um, you know, how it, it just really infuriates me when I think about how my parents, you know, systematically, you know, it seems like they broke me down emotionally as a little child. I mean, it was just terrifying as a, to go through those first years trying, you know, when I was first developing, you know, my language skills and my, you know, how the, the world outside of my home works. And so much of it was filled with this, you know, going to church and stuff. Right, it right. Just, it was awful, you know. Now, was there... Um was there any sort of spillover of this within the home in terms of disciplinarians, right? I mean, the pro one of the problems with people who are religious, uh, particularly uh, on the uh, sort of punishment side, is that there is this sort of basic belief that children are born bad, right, born, right. born bad, and that uh, if sort of left to their own devices, children will sin and uh, do, do bad things and be selfish and so on, and that the only way really to reason, sort of, quote, reason with a child is through uh, some form of, of threat or some sort of overbearing use of authority uh, in some manner. Was, was that, did that sort of translate into your own home out of the church? No, I wouldn't say that it directly translated to uh, the way that my parents treated me. I guess it was, and that's what was, I think, it was, I think that helped me to, to pull myself away from religion when I, when I got a little older. Is, uh, I, I was always, you know, kind of resisting going to church and stuff. My dad said, oh, you're going to church until you're confirmed. And then once I was confirmed, I stopped going. But uh, the one thing that, if I look back at, you know, my childhood with my parents, one thing that is kind of interesting about the, the whole uh, comparison to Christianity is that um, my dad was very much the, the fiery, yelly type, you know. With, uh, he never really directly yelled at us kids, but he would just, Scream, flaming death at inanimate objects and stuff like that. You know, a really fiery temper. And then my mother was the passive-aggressive, very you know, touchy-feely you know type mother. You know, so it was almost like we had the Old Testament God and the New Testament Jesus right there raising us. You know, it was the it was really kind of. Um, it's funny when I look at it that way that it you know, you know, Dad was always the the angry God in the clouds that was down in the barn screaming at his machinery for breaking down. And my mom was the, you know, the Jesus that was right there, you know, walking amongst the people, um, trying to teach the passive way of living and, you know, don't ever get mad at people that have done you wrong and all that stuff like that. So it was, it was interesting. Well, I guess you learned that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the other thing, if only the Old Testament God had been angry at inanimate objects, the world would probably be quite uh, more heavily populated <laughs> right. than it is like, now. We could smash Saturn into, uh, into Uranus or something like that, who knows, but... Right. Now, I just, I mean, I'm, uh, this is, this is a, a sensitive topic, so I mean, I, I don't want to sort of tread all over your history or put any sort of words into your mouth, but okay. it's my understanding that when you see a parent exhibiting violent behavior, it is abusive whether or not it's directed at you. Right. Absolutely. So uh, the fact that your father was sort of yelling and screaming and, and you know, punching his tractor, however good that much, however much good that hit him, uh, is is uh, is a pretty negative experience, right? I mean, the terror that you felt at church was probably to some degree related by the terror that you felt with regards to your father's uh, temper. Absolutely. And uh, it's not generally considered uh, a a good deal of protection to say, well, he'll punch up the the tractor, but not me. Right, that's not the division that children make in, in that sort of environment of violence. And so, you know, your, your original question was, 
It's shocking. I do remember it. Uh, your original question was, the, you know, what do I do with regards to religion with my family? Uh, I would say that that would pro probably be rather secondary to uh, discussing this ki these kinds of issues, right, that, that um, you had uh, opinions that in your family were not respected, right? So you weren't allowed to choose whether you went to God, uh, God's house or not. You weren't allowed to choose whether you went to Sunday school or not. You weren't allowed to say to your dad, Dad, it scares me when you punch uh, up the place like that. I feel really bad. And so I, I would say, I mean, there's nothing wrong with talking about religion with your parents, but I think that would, what would probably be more immediate and would give you more of a stronger sense of the potentials or the lack thereof in that relationship is to sit down and talk with them about your childhood, if that makes any sense. It does make a lot of sense. And uh, one thing that's been going through my head a lot lately, um, especially with my mom, uh, they're divorced now, so my, my parents live apart and I speak with them at separate times. But with my mom, I've been increasingly getting this sense lately that um, when she talks to me, she's speaking to her, you know, quote-unquote son. She's not speaking to me. And so when I start to um, discuss some really some of these really important topics with her that I think, you know, my past with my family and the way I view, you know, politics and religion and things like that, she very quickly zones out and tries to steer back to this discussion that she's having with her, quote, son. And that I'm always... Sorry, can I, I just, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Um, I just, I just want to really sort of make sure that I understand that distinction because it's not, it's not very clear to me. Okay. Uh, so can you just tell me what the difference is between, you know, your mother viewing, is it like generic G.I. Joe son or is it like, uh, I'm not sure I understand that, that categorization right. between you and, and the son. Right, okay, so when I say that, you know, generic son, yeah, it's pretty much G.I. Joe son. It means that she has an image in her mind of what, you know, she wants her son to be. And that son, you know, has a lot of my qualities. You know, he's a successful engineer, and he, you know, does well at work. He's respected by his peers, things like that. And that's fine because that's part of me. But then when it comes to the part that really, really means something to me, the really important stuff, the stuff that's really making my life worth living lately, is that's the stuff that belongs to just Rod. And the generic son doesn't quite get it, you know. Generic so the, yeah, the, so your, your values, the values that exist for you in your soul, independently of her values, don't exist for her. Right. It's just like it's like she can't quite see that. It's it's almost like an apparition that floats just to the side of of me is this son that she that she's always talking to. And, and I hate to be annoying. Sorry to interrupt. I hate to be annoying semantic guy, but I just want to want to point something out that may not be clear to you just because I can see from the outside. So, you know, right. this is not anything to do with that. But um, your, your mother can absolutely, totally and completely and perfectly see your values. I oh, just yeah. sort of wanted to point that out, because right. if you say uh, I can't see these rocks when I ever I sail my ship around, but every single time you sail your ship perfectly around those rocks, it could right. well be said that you do, in fact, know where those rocks are. Right, so if she's continually able to, to divert the conversation away from your values, then she's perfectly aware of what your values are and how important they are to you. And the choice that she makes, I mean, this is not to sort of dog on your mom or anything, but just logically, right, the choice that she makes is to specifically reject your values. It's not that she can't see them. Uh, she just she, choose, she chooses to reject them. Absolutely. And it's, it's very apparent because the same behavior every time, you know, my important topics come up, that same glaze falls over her eyes and she immediately starts to, you know, shake her head and say, I don't understand. And so I do know that she sees it. And it's just that 
whenever she sees it, she walks away from it. You know, and that's the, yeah, and uh, she understands it enough to know that she better not end up understanding it. Absolutely. Yeah, Because right, it's going to be threatening to her worldview and so on. Right. And in fact, I think uh, I mentioned this earlier to you about uh, you when know, she was, I was having a conversation with her a few weeks ago when I was at home, and, and she said that, uh, you know, oh, I wish that you wouldn't talk about that stuff with your brother because he just doesn't understand it. And, you know, that's when I said, well, yeah, he does understand it. And as soon as I started directing the conversation toward her and the way that she reacts to the stuff, and, you know, then magically she didn't understand it too. So. Right. <laughs> right, right, right. Now, can you, uh, can you think, because, of course, the relationships that we have with our parents are mostly around the history and a certain amount of tertiary obligation in the present with a sort of rising obligation in the future when they get old and sickly, but can you think of any areas in your life wherein the problem with having your values, and not just your values like, you know, I like jazz, but, you know, these are the real hardcore positive, juicy, human virtue values, right? I mean, you're interested in truth and philosophy. I mean, this is not just a, a particular preference like NASCAR versus carriage racing. But can you think of any other areas in your life that this problem of having all of your values continually rejected has shown up elsewhere? Uh, let's see. Well, actually, in... Uh now that you mention it, I hadn't thought of it this way before, but I frequently get the, the impression that when I'm, I'm a very creative person, and uh, when I work as an engineer, I'm supposed to be a left-brain type person. You know, I move papers around, I make drawings that are very accurate, things like that. And engineers aren't seen much as creative people, but, you know, I do have kind of a left-brain, right-brain type of approach to things. And so when I... Uh, when I try to bring forward that right brain creativity in my work, a lot of times it just sort of falls on deaf ears with my, you know, my engineering peers because they just don't, they don't quite get that whole, like, you know, the chaotic nature of, of creativity can be a little bit frightening to very logical people sometimes, I think. You know what I mean? Oh, listen, I mean, I, uh, uh, I'm a writer and a programmer, so I right. certainly do understand that you get that googly-eyed Roger Rabbit thing going with quite a few people in your life when you think outside the box, and right. I certainly do get that reaction quite a lot. And, uh, and, and I, I imagine that, that that's not obviously very pleasant because of your history. Right. Yeah, and I think I, I really do you know, kind of uh, bridle at that often, and I've gotten sort of used to it, so I, I'm trying different methods for bringing forth, you know, hey, why don't we try this crazy idea type stuff, too, and it, you know, it takes quite a bit of self-deprecation sometimes, and other times it takes just some uh, some firm assertion, but, uh, you know, it still is, it's always an ongoing difficult thing for me working as a mechanical engineer to to say, hey, let's be crazy and creative for a little while, you know, it's, it's a very difficult uh, position to be in sometimes. Do you mind if I ask you how old you are? Uh, 31. 31. Okay. I'm going to give you a very very uh, uh, off-the-cuff piece of advice. And, of course, uh, I, I don't know you very well, so I apologize if I'm missing the mark, but this is sort of what's what sort of bubbling up, bubbling up in my brain. The, the, the times when I've been most satisfied as a left-brain, right-brain person is when I've actually had authority, right? When I don't have to sort of manipulate and cajole people into... Uh, you know, uh, please, you know, let me have a little porridge of creativity, sir, you know, in that sort of Oliver Twist kind of way, that when I was on the entrepreneurial side of things and I was the core coder for the, um, the system that I was working on, I could be as creative as I wanted and didn't need to consult anyone. And what I would suggest, uh, and, this I, and this reason I asked your age was because it would seem to me that this would be a good time to seize the day that way, uh, I would suggest that you have 
the capacity or potential to take on those kinds of leadership roles where you don't have to uh, you, you can sort of come up with the ideas and tell people what to do, which is going to give them that level of comfort. In, in every field, right, there's a couple of people who are creative, and there's everyone else who tries to clamp them down. I mean, that's just I, – I don't know why that is. I'm not even going to try and hazard a guess on the fly, but it absolutely is the case that the tall poppies get cut down and the, the nails that are sticking up get pounded in. And so uh, the people who break through that, right, the people who break through that do enormous good for the planet, right? They become the leaders. They become the people who liberate other people through their own lack of fear. I would suggest that it's entirely possible, and I would say probable, that you have this capacity for this kind of leadership and the desire for this kind of leadership. But until you clean things up with your past, you're going to be stuck because you're still going to try and avoid the pain of having your creativity overridden because really that's what was happening. I mean, the, the, one of the most awful things about religion, as I've mentioned before, is the degree to which it cripples the personal imagination because your own uh, capacity for creativity is entirely crushed under this mad weight of other people's fairy tales that are taken as absolutes. So you can then only imagine and think, if that's the right word, within the, uh, the sort of metaphors that other people have uh, given and created for you. So um, human, the human race moves forward quite, quite a bit on imagination. And if you are, and I, I certainly believe you, a left brain, right brain kind of guy, then I would say that the, the compelling reason uh, and this will obviously will show up in your personal relationships as well, that the compelling reason to focus on this stuff with your family would be to liberate your capacity for leadership. And so you don't end up at the end of your life looking back and say, gee, you know, I could have been a whole lot more creative, but man, you know, it was just too hard. Right. You know, it's, it's funny that you say that because recently I have been uh, thinking of becoming you know, more entrepreneurial with my career. And uh, in fact, one thing that's kind of interesting with my current career is that uh, over the last couple of years as I've been, you know, really delving into this, uh, you know, libertarian theory and then later anarcho-capitalism and then into the free domain radio with the personal relationships and stuff, I've noticed that my, my assertiveness and my strength at work has been increasing a great deal. And uh, it kind of, uh, you know, just hit me on, uh, it surprised me one day, uh, one of the guys who is, I guess, two levels up in management from me one day was we were in a meeting and he just kind of said off the cuff just as a joke, yeah, Rob's going to be leading us someday. And uh, right, right. It sort of, it, at first I was just like thinking, ah, oh, that's funny. But then I later thought about it. I was like, you know, you might be right. I might actually, I, you know, I, I do sometimes feel like I have, you know, more of a big picture chess player type perspective on these things sometimes than the guys who are managing, managing me to, you know. Uh, yeah, I absolutely believe that. And so the question of which we started with, which was, you know, do I uh, reject family members based on their religion? Uh, I would say that that would not be the right approach to take at the moment. And to focus on the religious aspect of things wouldn't be uh, the right approach to take at the moment. But I think that you need to, and I sort of generally recommend this, but I'll mention it uh, again here, that it's a very, very important thing to do in terms of self-liberation. Uh, to get to the truth of the relationships in your life is very, very important. You don't, you know, life is short, and you don't want to, and I'm not suggesting that you do, but, you know, people don't want, you, you don't want to live in a, a fantasy camp of, well, I have these obligations because I want to be a good son, and I have these obligations because I want to be a, you know, a good daughter or a good husband or a good whatever, right? I mean, of course, there are obligations when you have kids that I'm not going to get into here, but you don't want to have imaginings about your relationships. You want to have the facts. You want to work empirically. 
not out of a, a sort of uh, habit or history. So I would say that with both of your parents, if possible, uh, but certainly with your mother, uh, it's important that you sit down and not take no for an answer and not in an in a, in a aggressive way, but just in an assertive way to say that I really do need to talk about these things because I think that my history is really holding back my potential, right? The, the, the joy in life comes from achieving your potential. I, I, I don't, again, that's Aristotle's definition, which I'm perfectly happy to work with, but, you know, you have an enormous amount to offer the world and you have been, um, you know, historically really, really held back by your family. I would say explore that kind of stuff, and the religion is really just a symptom of that. Right. Yeah, actually, uh, when it comes to my own uh, experience or my my journey toward the defooing, I think, myself. I've been I've been thinking more or less about when I do confront my parents about this stuff, it's not going to be so much about, like, here's all the crap you did to me when I was a kid and I hate it now I'm going goodbye. But it's I want to do that, you know, walk toward the middle of the cage thing that you spoke of earlier in podcasts. Um, you know, it's going to be the, you know, hey, I'm here. I know you can see me, but why do you keep on talking to this, you know, quote-unquote son over here? You know, and so it's... it's uh, it's definitely going to be a thing where, you know, I'm going to, I want to tell my parents that I really do genuinely want to have a healthy relationship with you. So far, it's not healthy. And, uh, you know, if we can make a healthy relationship out of it, then fantastic. If not, then so be it. I'll have to go. So, I mean, I, I agree with you on that. And, and that's, uh, it really has helped me a lot to hear, you know, other people's deep wooing uh, experiences, Greg and Nathan especially. So, yeah, I think... I think I'm on the right track. <laughs> Hi, Rod. It's Christine. Yeah. Hi. Uh, sorry about that. I got uh, confused by my own, the echo of my own voice. Um, I just, uh, with respect to what you were talking about with meeting your parents and, and telling them, sorry, c microphone issues. I, I did, no, sorry. I just wanted to make sure that I can't hear you, but Sorry about that. Uh, just the conversation that you want to have with your parents, not about these are the things that you did to me when I was a kid, but this is the kind of relationship I want to have now. It'll be very interesting to see what they say to you. You know, if you say to them, well, I feel that you don't listen to my ideas, and they say something like, oh, no, no, that's not true. Uh, you can use that as evidence for yourself. It may not be worthwhile to try and point it out to them because you're going to constantly, I think, I'm guessing you're going to be constantly... Um, rejected in that way they're going to say everything that you say to them will come back oh no we want a relationship with you you're wrong uh once again um uh, what's the word i'm looking for uh, rejecting rejecting you uh in the present right yeah my mother is really just she's she has a black belt in uh, emotional manipulation so i mean it's <laughs> it's one of the things that i need to uh you know really strengthen myself for before i try this because you know i'm I still do, you know, it's it's not it's not hard to injure me emotionally, you know, in those ways. Well, it's so. certainly it's never hard for our parents to do it, right? That's one right. of the reasons why you can't have if you don't have a good relationship with your parents, you have a bad relationship with your parents. There's nothing right. in between because they just have too much too much historical authority and power with us, so. Yeah, and there's so many levers that they can pull that, that they've set up in my mind over the years. So, yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be something where I'm going to need to wear some pretty thick armor to go into that battle, I think. Well, uh, you know, again, I, I hate to sort of send you into the dragon with the, in your in your tidy whities but I would certainly <laughs> suggest that uh, you don't put any armor on, right? I mean, you have to trust your own strength with that. When you go in to talk to your parents, um, vulnerability is key, right? Because the one thing that you haven't been with your parents since as long as you can remember, and I just know this because this is just basic, but uh, the one thing you haven't been with your parents for as long as you can remember is vulnerable. 
And so in order to get new effects, you have to do, you have to take new approaches, right? If the route you keep taking takes you to the wrong place, you've got to try a different route. And it is the opposite uh, that, that you bring to relationships that usually is where the greatest growth is. And so I would say go in with no armor, you know, be perfectly prepared to bawl your eyes out, to, you know, to, to faint, to, you know, whatever it is that's going to happen. But uh, armor won't help you because armor has kind of kept you from feeling the negative parts of this relationship. And the other thing that I'd mention is that, you know, we always feel that it's very cruel to, um, to, to look at separation from, from our parents if the relationship is negative and, and stultifying. We always feel like, but, but they're going to miss me so much. They, 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 they're, you know, they call me every week or every day, and you know, I go over there, and we have dinner and, and this and that. But the one thing I'll tell you for sure, and this is based on my uh, and Christina's experience, um, and it's a little bit of a blow. It was a bit of a blow to my vanity. I don't know how you'll take it. Uh, they won't miss you. And the reason that they won't miss you is that they don't know you, right? So you say that there's this uh, imaginary son that your mother has this relationship with. Uh, that will continue, right? So uh, it, the, the saddest thing about all of this stuff to do with the family is that nobody gains, right? Because we think, okay, well, I'll take the hit, right? I'll go and see my parents because it's so important to them and it's so meaningful for them. And even though it's boring for me and even though I don't like it and even though I don't feel good afterwards, um, I, I'm going to go and see my parents because – because somebody's benefiting from it, right? But the awful thing is that nobody benefits from it, right? Because your parents can continue to have the same relationship with you that they've always had. You don't even need to be there. Yeah, and yeah. that's just something that's hard for us to get because we're so used to, like, if, if I take this away from my parents, if I take my true self away from my parents, that'll be bad. But uh, it won't be because they don't even know your true self. And, in fact, they'll be relieved because your true self just keeps interfering with their relationship that they want to have with the fantasy. Right. Yeah, I wish I could give them, like, an action figure of me or something like that that they could hold up to their <laughs> right. friends. I don't know. <laughs> That's quite right. Absolutely. But, you know, your point, uh, you, you've made this point several times in a lot of your podcasts on this subject, and I, I really do believe that uh, the main reason that that my mom has this son is because she likes to hold that son up to all of her friends and relatives and say, isn't he great? And, uh, you know, obviously she leaves out all the details about how I'm an anarchist and how I don't believe in their God and all and stuff like that, because that's not part of that thing that she holds up. And, uh, you know, mom's always been this, you know, it's all about image. It doesn't matter if everything's falling, falling apart behind the curtain, whatever is in front of the curtain is what you show everybody. And that's the play that you put on for everybody. But, you know, backstage can just be chaos. It can be like monkeys flinging poo and, you know, bombs blowing up and stuff like that. So it's just, it's all about what's in front of the curtain. And I keep on thinking that I'm being put behind the curtain because that's, you know, I'm exploding with the rest of the junk. So. Now, that's all very good, uh, well and good. But let me go back to something you said a little bit earlier where you said that I'd made the point a number of times in a number of podcasts. Right. I'm not sure exactly what you're accusing me of, but I don't like the smell of it. <laughs> <laughs> Extreme repetition? How is there something like that? It's good repetition. It a good deep. repetition. You know, uh, maybe it's, <laughs> it's like a song that you like to hear over and over and over and over and over again, but, you know, with jazzy tangents that make no sense. Okay. Uh, okay uh, is there anything else that you wanted to chat about here? I was going to open it up uh, to, uh, to uh, others if you had nothing else. No, I think uh, it's pretty good. I, I still have a little note on my text editor here about the uh, the whole um, – there was a – I thought there was kind of a similarity between the doctor going out to play golf instead of treating the illnesses and 
deep feelings in the family. I think you said that you're going to try to talk a lot and <laughs> make me forget it. So, you know, <laughs> Damn the, these uh, engineers. <laughs> always taking notes, curse them. But the, uh, you know, with the whole family deep feeling thing, you know, if they're so messed up that you can't help them, then you just have to walk away. And, and can't you just do that with these rabid theists? I mean, they're pretty messed up. Why do you have to keep engaging them and saying, I'm not you, I'm not you? Well, yeah, I, I certainly agree with you. And um, the, the, the one great challenge of philosophy is knowing, you know, know, know when to hold them, know when to fold them, right? And uh, I myself, like if I'm stuck in a railway carriage with a priest and there's nobody else there, I, I, I'm not going to have that conversation, right? What, what's he yeah. going to do? He's going to say, you know, gee, I never should have taken this job. I never should have uh, done what I did to those little boys. And now it's all wrong. He's never going to change his mind, right? right? On the other hand, though, if I'm in a railway carriage with myself and a priest and a teenage kid, then I will have that conversation. Not for the priest, but for the kid, right? right. So for, for me, that's important around picking your battles, right? I mean, uh, you're not going to change anybody hardcore, but uh, the number of times that uh, people have um, uh, been changed by overhearing something because there's no pressure, there's no stress, and so on. So. Uh, that would be uh, yeah. I agree with you. I mean, you, you know, the you don't. Uh, we, we're not going to go to to Bill Clinton and say, "Hey, you want to be a market anarchist?" Right? I mean, that's not right. going to be the case, right? Or or if we do, Christina's going to go. But um, <laughs> but uh, you know, for the course. Uh, but um, uh, so I agree with you. Yeah, uh, the 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 truth is not a sword to be drawn at all costs, right? I mean, you definitely do have to gauge the value of it. And there's no point being a slave to freedom, uh, as I've talked about, uh, any more than there is being a slave to anything else. But I think that um, uh, if you if you have the chance to influence somebody else, that can be very helpful. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's a very good point. I guess is to, I guess with the defluing analogy, then it's sort of like you'd be helping your younger siblings or something like that if you deflue yourself or whatever. So yeah, I I do agree. That's a good point. Is to set a new curve. Okay, right, I'm right. No, I mean, <laughs> some people stay because of younger siblings when I would sort of say that um, uh, staying is the wrong thing to do. It's it's the idea, you know, that the, the mom's going to stay with the abusive dad or, or vice versa because of the kids. It's, you know, it's not a good, uh, it's not a good uh, approach. Yeah, okay. So I'm, I'm done, but thank you very much for uh, for indulging me on for this long time. I do. Oh, no indulgence. I think that what you're going through is uh, is very powerful and very good, and be sure to keep us uh, keep us posted with what's going on. Absolutely. Okay, the uh, Skype chat is open. I am going to uh, w watch your ears, my brothers and sisters. We we are going to take the mute off, uh, unless uh, somebody has a um, a comment to make who's currently in the chat. I'd be certainly happy to unmute you if you have something there. Um, so if you would like to do that, feel free. Um, if not, I will uh, open up the boards to whoever has uh, open up the, uh, the the phone lines, for want of a better phrase. Uh, for um, uh, anybody else who wants to say anything. So I'm just going to have a look here in the chat. And I don't think nothing's coming in. Can you just have a look? Can you just have a look at the chat itself? Nothing, eh? Okay, all right. Watch your ears. I'm going to unmute, and we're going to get the blast from uh, all the people who are currently uh, listening to this while, uh, um, I guess, cleaning live jet engines or something. Uh, yeah, hi. Um, so it's just a point about um, atheism, as you said um, earlier. Um, okay, the number of podcasts you've said that God's existence doesn't make sense because uh, it's not his his existence is not consistent with known scientific principles. But my point is that well, science is not a static thing; it, it evolves over time. 
So how do you know these principles will always have relevance or will always be applicable? Isn't it possible that these principles could be refuted sometime or um, new principles could be discovered which makes God's existence more uh, plausible or feasible? Okay, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a, a Christian or theist or anything, but um, well, yeah, well, yeah, it's just my basic point. No, that's an excellent question, uh, and thank you for raising it. Certainly for the people who are listening who are, are newer to the conversation, that, that is going to be the next logical question. And, of course, as, uh, you know, as a rationalist or an atheist, I, I, I want to avoid the general uh, idea that uh, is, is sometimes uh, thrown against uh, atheists. I'm not saying you're doing it, but it's a generally uh, accepted problem that atheists are slamming the door down on the future of science by saying, I know now and forevermore that there is no such thing as God, which, you know, seems kind of silly relative to a certain aspects or views of the history of science. So uh, one, one thing that comes back is, you know, well, if, if you'd said to people, I don't know, a hundred years ago that people would be able to talk around the world for free as we're doing now, they'd say that's never going to happen, that's impossible, and of course now they would be proven wrong. So it's an excellent question, and I'm very glad that you brought it up. Um, the, the response that I would make, and you let me know if it makes sort of any sense to you, is that there are two things in science that need to be separated in terms of principles, right? One is um, a principle that uh, is uh, currently discovered, right? So there would be a certain principle like Newtonian physics would have a certain measure of, of speed and acceleration and so on relative to a fixed point. So there's Newtonian physics, which has all of its principles embedded within it, which, you know, themselves came from, you know, prior versions of physics, the Ptolemaic system and so on. And then after Newtonian physics, you get something like uh, the Einsteinian physics, right, theory of relativity and so on. And those, um, those paradigms or those principles are constantly changing. You're absolutely right within science. Now we're in the world of superstrings and, and quantum physics and all stuff that makes your head explode. Um, so, yes, science is absolutely in a constant flux, except for one thing except for one thing in science that never changes. The one thing in science that never changes is the scientific method. And the way in which science is refined is with reference to the scientific method. And the scientific method's been around in one form or another since, you know, very early thoughts. Uh, certainly Aristotle talked about it, but it was Bacone, uh, Bacon uh, in the 16th century who really focused on uh, systematizing and saying that Making stuff up, which is really the, the world of the medieval scholastics, doesn't make any sense. Nothing is true except what can be proven, what is experimentable, uh, experimentable, where you can reproduce the experiments, where there's physical evidence. We have to assume that nothing is true except for that. Now, that principle has never changed uh, throughout the entire history of science, and that principle will never change in science. Like, you can go to a scientific conference and you can say, I have a new scientific theory uh, called Z-rays that are radiating from my big shiny forehead like a disco ball. And people are going to say, well, that's interesting. <laughs> I can certainly see how that might occur just looking at the fluorescent reflection. But they would then say, okay, dude, uh, what's the proof? Right? And that would be a perfectly reasonable thing to ask. And that's, you know, that's no problem. And if I am some physics genius, I can supply that. But what I can't do is I can't go to a scientific conference and say, I think we should replace the scientific method with superstition, right? People then won't say, well, that's interesting. Maybe we should. They're going to say, uh, no, 
the scientific method is inviolate, right? Because it, it is derived from the nature and properties of reality, that reality doesn't contradict itself, that it's logical, that it's consistent, that matter is neither created nor destroyed, but simply converted to energy and back and so on. So because uh, the scientific method is uh, constant, uh, and the scientific method entirely repudiates any possibility of the existence of supernatural beings, then I think it's safe to say that uh, if something does emerge in the future, I don't know, matter contradicts itself or winks in and out of existence or whatever, then it won't be science anymore, right? If, if you can't test for it, if it's not logical, if it doesn't have any rigor to it, if it's, then it's astrology or it's religion or, or it's fantasy or whatever, right? So I would say that it's important to differentiate between the conclusions of the scientific method, which in truth, of course, you're right, are constantly being refined, and the scientific method itself, which is as inviolate as gravity uh, and as inviolate as the behavior and properties of matter. Does that, does that help? Um, uh, yeah, it does. Um, okay, yes, you, you mentioned the scientific method, but, um, well, isn't it, well, again, isn't it possible that well, okay. All, all the scientific, all the scientific method is is just a methodology. Um, it, you know, anything can be discovered by the scientific method, can't it? As, as long as you use that methodology. So, um, well, again, all I'm saying is that, um, well, never say never, sort of thing. That um, just because our current physics knowledge. Uh, 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 refutes the concept of a, of the existence of some kind of supreme being or god. That doesn't mean it will always be that be that uh, be the case. Well, um, if if there is uh, like yeah, and this is a question that was posted on the board. And I mean, I'm a slave to science. I'm not a slave to atheism, right? I mean, if you know tomorrow this celestial being. Uh, other than my wife, descends from the sky and levitates my Volvo to heaven and I podcast from heaven, then uh, assuming that um, everybody else sees that that's occurring <laughs> and it's not just something that I think is happening, then I would be an instant convert to uh, the existence of a deity, right? I mean, uh, but th that, that would no longer be religion, right? If God sort of comes down and manifests himself and it sort of looks like Morgan Friedman, if I remember rightly, if God comes down and manifests himself in an empirically testable manner, then sure, God exists. Absolutely. But then God is bound by the properties of matter and therefore is subject to the scientific method. So I would say that, um, uh, but, but, but you can't, I can't say that God, that God exists just because I, I want him to. And I can't say that, that God exists because uh, I had uh, uh, a bald spot that mysteriously disappeared and after I prayed or, you know, I can't just assert that something is true because of my own particular prejudices any more than I can say that astrology is true because uh, of X, Y, and Z or all dreams are prophetic because I had one dream that seemed to come true and so on. That, that would be to not use the scientific method uh, and that would never be valid in the same way that you're never going to have mathematics that, uh, you know, founds on the principle that two plus two equals green. Um, yeah, I agree with that. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree that science should be based on some kind of rational, logical means. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. He remains unconvinced, ladies and gentlemen. Go ahead, uh, if you have something that, uh, I mean, don't, uh, if I haven't answered, uh, feel free to just uh, keep, keep plugging away, because I definitely want to uh, sort of clear this up, because it's a common... It's a common objection, and I mean, this is—you you could be right. This is just sort of my my opinion. So go ahead. 
Well, um, well, as I said, just in reference to the earlier point I made, that um, it's possible that our current scientific knowledge today may be refuted in the future. So what I'm saying is that, um, well, I think it's wrong just to, 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 to sort of use our current knowledge as some kind of absolute. That um, it, it, you know, it's, that's, that's not really the nature of scientific inquiry. Like saying anthropology, like 50 years ago, that there was no evidence that all human beings came from Africa. Um, but today, there's genetic evidence that states that's the case. So, you know, science is always improving and 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 building on its knowledge. So. Um, well, I, I mean, I completely agree with you, but again, it's important to differentiate between the conclusions of science and the methodology of science, right? So um, I'm sure you're correct that Afri human beings came from Africa, uh, which certainly wouldn't explain my dad's capacities, but um, if, you're, if you're correct that uh, it is now generally accepted scientific knowledge that human beings came from Africa, which it wasn't the case 50 years ago, I would still submit that the reason why we know it's true now uh, versus uh, before was that there's more evidence now. There's been more, uh, you know, I guess more bones have been found or, you know, there's been more accurate carbon dating or more accurate genetic tracing or whatever. But it's because the scientific method has been used that we know more than we used to, right? And so, but the scientific method itself has not changed. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah, I understand that. Um, and so the degree to which God, the existence of uh, life without matter of consciousness of, of a mind without a brain of consciousness without material form that's a complete contradiction because what that says then is something exists and does not exist simultaneously right that god exists but has no material form and, and is no energy that can ever be uh, recorded so given that the only way that a scientist knows that something exists is it has material form or has a form, you know it's detectable in some manner either through the direct evidence of the senses or through some you know, the, what are they, the spectra detector from uh, um, Shaggy, uh, Shaggy Do or whatever it was. Um, so the only way that the science knows that something exists is because it has some sort of tangible physical evidence. And so if somebody says something exists that will never have any tangible or physical evidence, then what they're saying is something exists and does not exist at the same time. But that's a logical impossibility. And there will never be a scientific method that will be invented or will ever be valid that says self-contradictory statements are valid. Mm, yeah, yeah, I understand that point. Um, well, someone's just posted a message to me, someone called Chris Robinson, uh, on, this, on the chat thing. Um, he was just saying that... Um, if God lives in another dimension that has different physical laws or something, that how how is the scientific method applicable, or what our scientific method applicable to that dimension? Um, does that make sense to you? Or? Oh sure, yeah, absolutely. If there's an you know an anti gravity universe where up is down and black is white and so on, for sure, absolutely. Uh, then that universe will then be explored. I personally, I mean, this is this is me going out on a limb, and, and please I apologize for any uh, all of the ridiculous hubris that this involves. I think this stuff's all pure nonsense. I mean, I, all quantum physics, alternate dimensions, 15 dimensions, and all this, I think this is all pure nonsense. 
Um, and, you know, good, good for them if they can get money from the taxpayer to keep pursuing that kind of stuff. But you don't see a whole lot of capitalist firms pursuing this kind of nonsense. It's all at the university level, and they just love fooling around with this stuff because it gets just so ridiculous that you never have to supply anything. Right. I mean, you know, if you're doing R&D for a company, at some point you've got to produce a good that they can sell or something that they can use. Um, whereas if you're in the university you're talking about 12 dimensions or 50 dimensions or whatever, it's like, yeah, OK, here's another billion dollars. Go do your thing. You never have to produce anything. I think it's kind of a scam, but, you know, this that's just my ignorance. So I, I, I forgive me for that. I just want to put that out there. But, um, yeah, if there's some alternate dimension where up is down and black is white, sure, absolutely. I'm perfectly willing to to accept that as a possibility. And if in that dimension god is proven to exist then absolutely there will be a god for sure and that god will be detectable and measurable in some manner right but that doesn't mean still that we could ever countenance the existence of something that is not measurable that is never detectable right so yes there's an alternate dimension where there's a god but we have to reach into that alternate dimension with some kind of god detector <laughs> Right, in order to find that God. We wouldn't say, well, there's some other dimension, so now God has been proven. Right? We would have to go in and measure that and have a conversation, and we'd have to know that it wasn't someone messing with our head from that other dimension, and there'd be you know, decades or hundreds of years of exploration and so on until it was actually proven according to some scientific methodology. So it would still have to be detectable and reproducible, and it would have to, be, uh, it would have to sort of pass the test of... of um, uh, of knowing that it wasn't someone who was being fooled with, because we're talking about consciousness, not matter here, right? So, um, yeah, so I would say that uh, uh, for sure uh, we could absolutely, and then, you know, it would have to be a God that, you know, if it were to be anything to do with religion, would have some effect on this world or any of these kinds of things. So uh, for sure the, the existing uh, religious view of God, what, what you'd find in some other dimension wouldn't have anything to do with God fundamentally, right? Because what they talk about is a God who intervenes and reaches with his ghostly hand into this realm to do X, Y, and Z, and is detectable by human beings at the present in the moment, right? So the people who say that there's such a thing as a God who is detectable and interferes in human affairs at the moment are all entirely and totally incorrect. If there's some other dimension where there's a God that exists and so on, that's fine. That's a matter for science to explore. But it would have nothing to do with religion at all. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Um... So would you use the same rationale for things like, say, ghosts or any kind of, well, supernatural phenomenon or something? Oh, sure. Absolutely. For sure. If, if it is a contradiction, right? It's, again, we, we talked about Z-rays earlier, or X-rays, right? Um, but if, if the idea is in ghosts that a body can exist with intermittent corporeal form and live forever and some walk through walls and, you know, I mean, this all nonsense, right? So, I mean, none of that stuff is, is, is true at all. Uh, if, it, if it did turn out that, uh, you know, through some massive spectra detector, uh, you could find a, see a soul leaving a body and you could measure that souls live forever and there was an animating principle that was half in this dimension and half in some other dimension and so on, that would be fine. I get no problem with that, right? Uh, that's going to be something subject to science, which we can verify, and I would certainly think it would be very cool to live forever. But right now, um, it is mere superstition and has no truth value whatsoever. And uh, if people say that I believe in it, despite the fact that there's no evidence, then they're completely irrational and need to be talked out of that. And the corner where people like to go and hide, which is to say, well, you don't know everything. I'm not saying you, right? where people say, well, you don't know everything, and who are you to say that it's never going to be the case? There could be 15 other dimensions. There might be gods in each one of them. We might come across Osiris in some alternate dimension. Well, that's all fine, 
But that's no reason to believe anything right now. And it certainly is every single reason in the world to reject the nonsense put forward by organized religion. Um, okay, again, I agree with you. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, 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 I see your points in general that, um, that the scientific method must be applied to all phenomenon for it, for it, for that phenomenon to properly exist, and um, that anything that does not adhere to that, um, well, basically is just mysticism or something. Um, but yeah, 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 yeah. I generally see your points. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I'm very, very glad that you put that uh, brought that up. That is an excellent topic. And uh, I'm going to, if you don't mind, did you have anything else that you wanted to add to that? Because we've had another question from uh, another listener. Uh, no, it's just it for now. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much. I appreciate that. Uh, excellent uh, questions as always. Really, uh, that's wonderful. All right. Uh, let me just go back to my magic world of Skype casting and see if I can't uh, find. Uh... All right. So uh, do, do, do. it's all too well manned for words. Okay. Hang on. Um, I need like 12 engineers and uh, a shiatsu massage while I'm doing this. But uh, actually, no, I'll just uh, I'll just open it up. I'm just looking for him. Uh, I don't know what order um, this uh, occurs in um, uh, in Skypecast. Is uh, is Greg in? Yeah, he is. Okay. So, uh, Mr. Gimagauthi. Let me see that I click that right. Uh, are you uh, are you on air? I'm sorry, can you say that again? Hello. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Not bad. You really have a problem with my ID, don't you? You know, it's just, it's buried in there somewhere. And it's, because there's 37 people in at the moment, um, it going through the list and trying to find one person is not the easiest thing, so go ahead. <laughs> uh, what, what was my question? Wait one moment. Let's have the lovely Christina read it out for you. Before all the spamming started, you wrote a question. Is it logically possible that an aspect of reality cannot be materially validated? Right, right, exactly. Well, that's exactly why I podcast. <laughs> yeah, good luck going back to try and find a quote from old Steffi. <laughs> I could have sworn you, 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 you did contradict yourself, Big Chatty Forehead, somewhere back in podcast 3 million, but I can't find it. Yes. So I'm sorry, but you had another, you wanted to talk about that. Very... Perhaps a slight, slightly greater degree of seriousness. Go ahead. <laughs> no, that's fine. No, um, um, I guess all I'm suggesting is that if, uh, we, how can I put this? If uh, we accept that rationality is one criteria for reasonableness, right? So, you know, logic, right, is a fundamental precept of uh, at least one half of the, the whole um, criteria for truth, right? Mm -hmm. With evidence, right? Yeah. Right. So then... So then if somebody could demonstrate logically that it's possible that, say, um, there could be an aspect of reality, um, some other dimension or, you know, some other... Z-rays or whatever. Some other kind of substance or something that our five senses are incapable of, of, 
of experiencing, if that's logically possible, then then you can't really it would be difficult to make the case for somebody who wanted to believe in such a thing, right? It would be difficult to make the case against it, right? Right. So, so I, I guess what I'm suggesting is that in, in asserting that somebody shouldn't believe that, what, what you're, what, what you're presupposing is that um, the material universe that we that we can sense with our five senses is all there is. Sure, sure. And sure, so uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, call me call me simplistic, but yeah, that's uh, you know as far as philo what philosophy and and ethics and all the important stuff in life goes. But even down to epistemology, yeah, uh, for sure. I mean. The five senses, right? I mean, there may be all these other dimensions occurring at a subatomic level, and maybe that's important for the pencil neck uh, white coat guys. But you know, when it comes to sort of living your life and and uh, uh, and so on, it's uh, to me that's all just uh, you know, it's interesting nonsense, I guess you could say. Which doesn't mean it's not true or anything, but uh, I again, I have a fair amount of skepticism. The moment that sort of Intel starts saying I now have the n-dimensional processor, then I'll believe in these other dimensions. But as long as it's a bunch of government scientists, I'm going to hold it with the same degree of skepticism that I hold everything else that comes out of the more of our friendly state. Right. So I, I guess all I'm saying is that the the very same precepts that we we use to argue that it's not reasonable to believe the the uh, the theist is saying are the exact same reasons why he would argue that it's reasonable to believe. If you well, I, I can't agree with you there, and let me sort of tell you why, and then you can tell me if that makes any sense or not. I don't I want to say it makes any sense to you, but whether it makes any sense, period. A, um, a theist is only going to claim that a god exists and is only going to be able to claim that that god exists in any kind of objective way if they have had, uh, if he's had some direct experience of that deity, right? Because if he's never had any experience of that deity whatsoever, then it would be a ridiculous thing to say that that deity exists. So he must have had some, you know, some vision, some feeling, some dream, some prayer that got answered, some epiphany, some something must have convinced him that that God exists. And he must also believe that that epiphany has come from outside himself. Right, I mean, I I have minor epiphanies when I stub my toe, right? But but I don't claim that that's coming from outside myself, right? So in order for a religious person or a theist to say that there's a God and that God exists, they must have had some kind of intervention within their own consciousness that comes from outside, right? In which case it now has moved into the realm of science because it's measurable. It's come to them from outside and has had some effect on their consciousness. And so we, we automatically have a measurable phenomenon. And so they can't then say, well, I, you know, there's no proof, right? Well, whatever. Right? It doesn't because the whole reason that they believe that there's a God is because that God has reached into their brains and flipped on the God switch, or I guess flipped off the light switch would be <laughs> the way that I'd put it. But there's no uh, way that they can say that this should never be subject to any empirical testing because they're saying that God exists based on the fact that he's done something to them. So we already have an intervening deity. Right? We already have an intervening deity. The only way that somebody's going to say that God exists, something came in from outside of them. God intervened. 
which means now he's subject to the scientific method, he's subject to rationality, he's part of reality. If there's some God in some other dimension, fantastic, you know, great. I can't wait to read the autobiography. But the moment that God reaches his ghostly little finger into this dimension, then he's subject to science and rationality. So, um, of course, the only reason that anybody wants to believe in God is because God's going to do something for them or to them if they're bad, right? Uh, people don't believe in this 27th dimension God. They believe in a God that intervenes in human affairs because that's why would you ever bother learning or teaching about something that would never affect your life in any way, right? So they do right. believe that, it, that God intervenes. Right. So, so either he's defined as an, an intervening being, which means he should be empirically testable, or he's defined as a non-intervening being, which is synonymous with nothing, and so you might as well take the Occam's razor approach and just assume it's nothing. Well, it's, uh, it's, I wouldn't even say it's sort of like nothing. It is the exact equivalent of nothing. Right? If I say that there's no matter, there's no energy, there's no, con there's no possibility of recording anything whatsoever in any way, shape, or form, that is, that is the very definition of non-existence. It's a synonym that's almost, it's identical. It's two sides of the same coin. I can either say that something doesn't exist, or I can say there's no conceivable evidence in any way, shape, or form for this thing that it does exist, and they're both exactly the same thing. Right. It's the exact same definition, so it's the exact same thing. So, so it, well, it can't so, be that easy. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Now, you, now you're scaring me. <laughs> So, so, uh, so then, what what you're suggesting is that in this case, um, the logic really doesn't matter. The logic of the logical possibility doesn't matter, since we can't sense it anyway. What do you mean, the logical, like a, of a god in another dimension or something? Right, right, exactly. Well, I mean. That all you're doing is creating a special category of non-existence called another dimension, right? You still, I mean, this, this, you know, it's like me going to, to the Nobel Prize people and saying, uh, uh, there, there's dimension 57, can I have a Nobel Prize, right? I mean, <laughs> like, say, well, what's your proof? Well, I right, don't but, know, but, but it's possible, isn't it? Can, can I have the Nobel Prize? Because it's possible, right? And they're going to say, well, I don't even have any clue what you're talking about, right? But, but, you, but you described it as... Uh, uh, a um, um, what did you just say? Uh, oh, as an as a are you taking notes too? <laughs> killer, killer crowd today. As an aspect of non-existence, which, which again, you're presupposing that if it's not sensible to the five senses, then it it mustn't exist. Well, I mean, it can be, I mean, yeah, at some level it has to be a translatable, right? Um, so, I mean, we can't see x-rays, but we can see the effects of x-rays. We can't see sound, even if we're deaf, but we can see a spectrograph and stuff, right? So, yeah, right, it but has to be translatable in some we can, manner. We can find, find x-rays and we can experience them in some way. Exactly, exactly. Right. Yeah, you may so, not see radiation, but, you, you know, your hair falls out or whatever. So that which cannot be experienced does not exist. That which cannot be experienced does not exist. That's correct. Yeah, that which does not, yeah. I'm just, I'm just thinking because the real trick with all this kind of stuff is then you get the mathematics people saying, are you saying math doesn't exist, and so on and so on, right? Uh, 
Right. Uh, and, and, of course, math does exist, uh, logic does exist, and so on, but math and logic, the as principles thereof, are all brain. derived from reality. Right. They exist as processes in the brain, which uh, formulate from our five senses, senses, providing us with material experience. Right, and, and we know the validity of scientific and mathematical theories by the predictability, by uh, the accuracy by which they predict the behavior of matter and so on. So, yeah, for sure. Uh, there, there is no such thing as existence that cannot be translated into some sort of tangible, uh, tangible thing. Okay, so that, uh, I just wanted to clarify that that's, that's, fun, that's a fundamental presupposition of atheism, is that um, if you can't experience it, it doesn't exist. I would say more of science uh, than of atheism. I mean, I, I wouldn't claim to be an atheist if I didn't know the scientific method. That's sort of where I got it from. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, I agree with that. But I, I just mean in the context of atheism, because we, we kind of draw on the same, the same basic presuppositions. Right, right. now an, a, a, an, an agnostic would say, if I go up to a, a, if I say to you, Greg, I had this dream about a unicorn last night, and and you were riding it in a flowing white gown. Wait, we'll talk about this more after the show. Um, but if I if I say to you that uh, I had a dream about a unicorn last night, an agnostic is going to say, well, there's no way to prove or disprove that, right? But um, uh, <laughs> th that's that's not really the issue because uh, that doesn't contradict the facts of experience or of logic, right? Because it's certainly within the realm of possibility that I had a dream about a unicorn last night. Um, but uh, because everyone has dreams and these things exist and, you know, uh, we can recreate things within our own mind while we dream that don't ex we don't experience in reality and so on. But um, if I say to an agnostic, I was a unicorn last night, right, then uh, it, would be, it would be quite an effort of willpower for the uh, agnostic to say, really? Uh, are you available on eBay? Because my daughter would love to ride a unicorn. Or, you know, they don't really go down that road, right? <laughs> so, so, so then... Uh, Lady Greg Diver, I think, is the name that... Uh, Lady Greg Diver, that's, the, uh, that's oh your God. new name. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> I think I won from the train of thought here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you win hands down. <laughs> And you know it's a cheap and hollow victory, but I still feel a thrill. <laughs> so, so then logical possibility is a criteria by which we're measuring this. Then, yeah, certainly logical possibility is a is a necessary but not sufficient, right criteria for truth. Okay. Like I mean, if I'm going to have a mathematical theory that describes the orbits of the planet. The first test is not does it describe the orbit of the planets, but is it logically consistent? And we're and we're arguing that it's not logically possible for there to be an uh, existence outside of the five the experience of the five senses. Right, right. I mean, it's the old thing. If you're marking a math test, and the person starts off with you know. Uh, 2x equals x, you don't have to go all the way through to the end to know that the answer is incorrect. Or if the answer is correct, it's still incorrect because it's just a freaky coincidence, right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, for sure. If, if, the, if the proposition is logically self-contradictory to begin with, you don't need to go any further. It doesn't exist. Now, if it does turn out that there's some God in some altered dimension, then that still doesn't mean that the religious people are right at all because they just accidentally came by the right criteria.
that they accidentally came up with the right conclusion using the entirely wrong methodology. Like right, if, I, if I come and saw your leg off and then it turns out you had gangrene and I didn't know about it, I'm not called a surgeon, right? I'm called a, you know, a murderer or whatever. Right. But, but, but I guess where I'm getting confused, though, is that I'm not seeing the assertion as logically contradictory. I'm not quite sure why. Oh, of a god? No, that uh, that there could be a a an aspect of reality that's beyond the five senses. Yeah. That to me seems logically possible. That there may be some sixth or seventh sense that biologically we're not equipped with because. We, you know, maybe we didn't need it for survival, right? Well, sure, absolutely. And I'm, I'm perfectly aware that, you know, maybe there'll be a kid born and, you know, in this sort of X-Men scenario, some kid will be born who can see heat or something, right? And, and he's got the third eye that can, you know, see X-rays or something. And cool, you know, I think that's great. But that's still all within the bounds of reality. He's not going to be able to see... God, right? He's not going to be able to see ghosts because those things don't exist. But he, right. and, and if he sees some Zed rays that we didn't even know were there, they will still be empirical and testable and measurable. But if some kid comes out of the womb and, you know, I guess as soon as they learn to speak, they say, uh, Mommy, Daddy, I, I can see Zed rays, right? And then they take this, <laughs> our kid's a physicist, she's a genius, you know, let's get the Nobel Prize, he can see Zed rays, and then... You know, the, the, the scientists say, well, what are Z rays? You know, oh, they're beams of light and rainbows and pixies and blah, 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 right? Right. And then there's never any proof and so on and so on. And then the kid needs medication, right? This is not knowledge. Right. So so I guess what I'm uh, saying from that, it's, it's, you know, the next step is, well, if the realm could logically exist, then certainly beings within that realm could logically exist too. Now, not not as defined by Christian theologians because that that particular being is you know logically contradictory from the get go. But if we concede that it's logically possible that there is there are aspects of reality that are impercept that may be imperceptible to human senses, then it's you know, the next logical step from that is well then why couldn't there be beings that exist in those states that are imperceptible to human senses. Sure, and, and absolutely right. that could well be the case. But if they're imperceptible to human senses, then all organized religion, of course, is a, is a complete falsehood, right? So, yeah, the, we, we could define, like, there could be some beings that can travel through time and, and are invisible and, you know, whatever, like psychic and they live forever in some bizarre way, right? But they, they could have all of these characteristics and they could exist in reality or whatever, right? But that has nothing to do, like they still haven't intervened in any measurable way in human history. And so the, right. the whole that's, organized that's religion it, thing would still be incorrect. Right, that's where it all kind of falls apart for the theist, is that if there's no interface with the existing reality, at least uh, with the existing sensual reality that we're aware of, then, then you know, where do they come up with, you know, their, their theory in the first place, right? Well, yeah, because what happens with theists, and this is the constant switcheroo that goes on, right, is they'll say that they'll, they'll work the, the sort of seam that you're working, and it's a great thing that you're doing it because it's, it's a very important question. They'll work the seam that you're working, and they'll say, ha, so it is possible that something called God exists, right? 
And then you say, well, sure. I mean, anything's possible as long as it's, you know, going to have the scientific method applied to verify it, its existence, right? And then they say, ah, so it is possible that something called God could exist, right? And, and then they sort of, you say yes, and then they slither back to an interventionist kind of anthropomorphic God that they pray to and sends people to hell, which is entirely different from <laughs> right. uh, is there, are there beings out there that, that we haven't discovered yet? Well, of course, right? But there's nothing to do with, uh, you know, the Garden of Eden and sending people to hell and, you know, consciousness without form and eternal life. I mean, all that superstitious bullshit has nothing to do with, you know, could there be other dimensions with other beings? Sure, but they haven't shown up and there's no, uh, there's no, uh, there's no um, proof of any kind that they intervene in the world. And so they don't exist, right? And yeah, in the future, who knows? But it's still got nothing to do with religion. Right. So, so the whole thing becomes really nothing more than an interesting speculation. I mean, you can't really found a, a belief system on it because you have no... You're, you know, you're walking on clouds, really. Yeah, it's like if I go to some oceanographer or marine biologist and I say, you know, is there a species of crustacean down at the bottom of the Mariana Trench that hasn't been discovered yet? And he says, sure, I, how can I tell you no? Of course we haven't discovered everything, right? And I say, great, let's worship it. <laughs> right. I mean, that's a bit of a leap, right? I mean, right. so there's this crustacean down there that fills every human child with invisible sin and, you know, <laughs> cursed human beings and, and sent his only fish spawn to get crucified and rise from the dead. Like, there's a whole leap, you know, that, that goes on in the realm of religion that's just bizarre. Right. That but has that's, nothing to do. Sorry? That's exactly the wall I hit every time I have a discussion like this with anyone is that, well, because you're willing to concede the logical possibility, there's no reason for me to give up my belief. Exactly, exactly. And the thing you have to do is say, you believe in a God because God does something for you or against you, right? Which means that God's impact is measurable, which means that you can't believe in a God just on will. Right, right. So, so if, you believe there's a Christ, if you believe the Christian God exists, then you must believe that he somehow has capacity to interface with you know, sensual reality, and then... No, 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 sorry to interrupt you. I'd go one step back. You can't say if you believe the Christian God exists because he impacts on reality. You could only differentiate the Christian God from a purely personal fantasy because you believe that he... All, like, the very... The only reason you believe in a God is because he's reached in from somewhere and flicked the God switch in your body. Right? So you only believe in a Christian God because God, from outside of yourself, has already done this. But no, so the... the um, the only reason that you would believe in a God, that a God exists external to yourself, is because you believe some external agency has reached into your brain and given you a vision or an impulse or whatever, right? right? So you can't say, I believe in a God, and therefore he has to be measurable. You would only ever believe that a God exists outside of yourself because he's intervened in your life in some way that is not part of your own consciousness. And so already we have a measurable phenomenon. And the minute, and the minute they do that, then then, you know, you're, you're free to criticize it in terms of uh, uh, the scientific method. Well, sure, yeah, right. because they're, they're not saying, I had a dream about a unicorn last night. They're saying a being exists with infinite intelligence and wisdom and perfection and blah, 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 and that being intervenes in reality. He gave us the Bible. He tickled my brain. He gives me visions. He answers my prayers. He right, he's intervening all over the place. It's like, great. So now we have a testable phenomenon. Right. Unless, unless he's 
only asserting the presence of you know, like a deistic god that only touched my brain. So, you know, there's no probe you could put in there to tell you empirically that he touched my brain. But I'm going to believe it anyways, right? I could think of a probe I'd like to put in someone's brain like that. <laughs> Might be a little more high voltage, you know? <laughs> Can you see him now? Can you see him now? <laughs> right? Like that guy from the ad. <laughs> right, right. Okay, well, the, 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 the problem becomes then that, you know, we're not really going <laughs> to... I guess this is just stating the obvious, but none of this is going to convince somebody who really wants to believe. Um, well, no, of course. I mean, philosophy is voluntary just as the scientific method is voluntary. It just as going to a doctor is, is voluntary. All right. So we're, we're kind of, uh, um, I don't know, on the one hand, kind of spin, spinning our wheels, thinking that this is going to talk somebody out of their theism, and on the other hand, just sort of engaging in a, you know, um, I don't know, a, I don't know, just sort of a, um, you know, so just sort of a, a camaraderie thing where we sit around and all say, oh, there's no God, there's no God, uh, of course there's no God, you know, it's, it's, so it's, it, we're preaching to the choir. Right, exactly. Well, look, I mean, uh, there is uh, uh, people want to be free. People want to be free of the fantasy of religion as much as they want to be free of everything else. And they don't know how to get out, right? And they're afraid of what's outside there. They don't know how to get out of this foggy, weird fantasy world of religion. Uh, and they've been taught that it's virtuous, right? So this is why I think extreme rigor and sort of enjoyable, positive conversations in the realm of this kind of stuff is so important. Because you never know when that click is going to happen for somebody, and they're just going to go, like, the scales fall away. And it can happen, like, in the space of five seconds, where they just go, oh, my God, you're totally right. I have never thought that for something to affect me from outside of myself, it has to have intervened. Therefore, it must be measurable and reproducible, right? Maybe they've just never thought of that, right? And that can have an enormous impact on someone. Uh, people desperately do. Like, their, their true selves are down there, like reaching up, like, like people drowning in quicksand, reaching up for something. And, yeah, I mean, a lot of people aren't going to make it, but uh, you never know. You never know who's, who's listening in at the next table, right? You, you, you have no idea what's going on, right? And uh, so, um, you know, it's always worth, I think it's always worth having that conversation. So, so doing this really is, is more out of the hope that uh, there will be somebody at the other table listening in. Um, for sure, yeah, and that's why I say, you know, if it's just one-on-one -on -one with some crazy religious guy, I don't really get involved because, you know, what the hell. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, if it's, uh, uh, if it's if it, there's a possibility that the conversation can be reproducible for somebody else in a useful way, or if I just um, want to test my wits and refine my argument, then, uh, but, you know, and I also think it's worth switching sides, as I did in podcast 400, right, so you get the other side of the coin and so on, so you can see the weaknesses from that side, but... Uh, um, no, it's definitely worth, you know, the, the majority of, of any sport, right, and, and, and philosophy is about the most extreme sport there is. But any sport, you know, the, the amount of time you spend in the ring if you're a boxer is tiny, tiny, tiny. You spend like .00001% of your time in the ring, and the rest of the time you spend training. And the same thing, I think, is true of, of philosophy. So, you know, training and practice and so on is always important. And, uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter 
whether you uh, beat your sparring partner as a boxer. It matters whether you beat the guy you're actually in the ring with at the end. So I think the practice and, and warm-ups and all that I think are very helpful. Okay, I think I've killed the sports metaphor because <laughs> <laughs> see, there's this Gatorade that I'm selling called Free Domain Radio Juice. Anyway, <laughs> so so who exactly is the guy in the uh, in, in the ring uh, at the final match then? Well, it's the false self. <laughs> oh, I never thought of it that way, but I guess that's true. So it's maybe a little glib, but I still think it's true. <laughs> so so it's not that crazy religious guy. No, 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 no. It's our own, it's our own capacity for self-delusion and, and our own historical scar tissue. Like, we're never going to be the people who are raised well, right? I mean, you and I both know that, brother to brother. We're never going to be the people who were raised well. Um, but uh, we can help create a world where people can get raised well, right? We're never going to be uh, people who weren't lied to can constantly and bullied when we were kids. But we can uh, work to create that. And so for me, because I did have that sort of history, there is – uh, a need to continually make sure that I stay on, uh, you know, on the right path, you know, without wanting to sound like, you know, uh, the path of virtue or anything. But um, I think for me, I do have the capacity for self-deception just as everybody else does. And so for me, uh, just trying to really, uh, you know, you're going to climb that mountain, you want to pick your path very carefully. And so for me, the, the, the struggle against error is not with others, but with myself. Now, others hugely help in that, right? I mean, this, my, my thinking has uh, expanded and refined itself enormously because of the quality of the conversations that we've been having over the past year. But, yeah, I mean, the, the, the really, um, you know, the, the, the religiosity that we need to fight primarily is, for me at least, in myself. That's a good point. I never thought of it that way, but that's a good point. So it's it's sort of a, a continuous uh, there's a continuous necessity for those of us who haven't uh, to 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 work out if you will for those of us who weren't born healthy, right? Right, right, for sure, for sure. And I mean, and this is where you find out things about yourself, right? So, for for to take an example from you. Uh, which is not quite the same as picking on you, but probably not that far, uh, to take an example that you were talking about. So you're in a conversation with somebody, and you, ha you are having a discussion with them about religion, and they get you to concede that it's vaguely possible in some alternate dimension that there might be something remotely close to a god, right? And then that's as far as you can get, right? And I perfectly understand that. I have those all over the place as well. But that's where you know that your false self has set the boundaries, right? And this is where you can't, because it's not a big leap, right? It's a big leap mentally, but it's not like it doesn't take me four hours to explain the next step, right? And this is where your level of um, uh, self-knowledge has gone to, right? So this is you sort of mapping where our own capacity for illusions are by engaging in debate with people who, who think differently, right? And not, you know, not primarily with the point of convincing themselves, but with the point of sort of further understanding our own truth, right? Because if I change somebody else's mind, it doesn't make my life better, right? I mean, I'm happy to do it, but it doesn't make my life better. What makes my life better is to have more truth and integrity and, and honesty with myself. That's what makes my life better. Know thyself. Yeah, for All sure, right. for sure. And, and a great way to know yourself is to figure out where the edges of your um, knowledge are and integrity with regards to other people. So. Okay. Well, that, that's uh, that's pretty much all I had. So. All right. Well, I'm going to. Uh, we have a quite a large number of people in here. Hello to all of the new listeners. I really appreciate it. Although some of them, I think, are uh, requesting that we do rather rude things with candlesticks and cigars. Uh, I'm not going to read those names. Um, but uh, Greg, if you could stop suggesting that, that would be great. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry, I didn't know you were still on. Um, okay, I'm going to watch your ears. I'm going to open it up. Uh, if anybody else has any of the questions or comments, I would be more than happy to, uh, to uh, entertain them. Uh, my name is Stefan Molyneux. I'm the host of Free Domain Radio. Hey. Can you hear me? Hello. 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 Is this a Sexy Child 1981 or Jesus oh, Christ 1973? <laughs> all right. If, uh, if the uh, mics are all open, if anybody has any questions or comments or issues that they'd like to uh, to ask, and now would be the time. Can you hear me? Hello. I, I can hear you. Okay. I got a question. Um, I kind of missed it. Could, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Could you just uh, give me your handle so that I can um, unmute you? Oh, I just I just muted everyone. Sorry about that. One moment. Hold your thought. Sorry. Could you just give me your handle? I can hear you, but if you could just tell me uh, the uh, name that you're using in Skype, then I can... Uh, uh, get just you and I talking? Uh, certainly, Stefan. I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Uh, sure. Could you just uh, give me your handle? Uh, my, your ha name, uh, my name is Andy yeah. Carling, oh. and the handle I use is Quarsan. Q-U-A-R-S-A-N. Q-U-A-R-S-A-N. Okay, just one moment. Q-U-A-R-S-A-N. Yes, I have located you in the surprisingly large list of people interested in chatting about religion. Please go ahead. Hi there. Um, Stefan, thank you very much for this. I really enjoyed listening to this and the uh, refreshing lack of uh, dogmatism. What One of the things I've been really interested in, I was brought up in a very uh, evangelical Christian environment. But I've become something of, of uh, an atheist myself. But I, I, I do retain some kind of real understanding as to people's... Hello? Hello, Stefan. Are we there? Go ahead. Okay. Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Stefan, thanks very much for letting me join this interesting conversation. Uh, one of the things I'm interested in is that, to be honest, I don't really care what people's religious views are or what religion people belong to. What I do find uh, that affects me and affects the societies that I live in is the political views people have that they derive from their religious viewpoints. You know, there is a, a kind of a... Um, I, one thing I love about America is the, uh, the separation of church and state, but I find that has really broken down and I find that the religious... Uh, Dogmatism turning into political dogmatism is something that is really very destructive, uh, very limiting, and I think is also um, it really demeans a lot of what I would call the more meditative spiritual traditions, whether they're in Christianity, Buddhism, Islam, or whatever. Um, so I don't care what people believe in. What I what I do care is, is is what political conclusions and actions they draw from that. I would be very interested in uh, hearing what uh, you and uh, the other uh, listeners have on on this point. Well, that's an I mean that's an excellent excellent question, and uh, I really appreciate you bringing it up. Um, yeah, for sure. The separation of church and state is an essential aspect of even a remotely free society, but there are several. 
100,000 people in the Middle East currently toes up to the daisies who might question the degree to which U.S. politics is separated in this manner. But uh, for sure, religious beliefs, um, and we're not going to talk about, you know, the God in Dimension 77 at this point, because I don't think that if anybody really believes that, that doesn't really have much effect on their political beliefs. But we're talking sort of about the mainstream religions, right, the big three, uh, and I guess there's some of the minor ones around the fringes, like fringes like Buddhism and so on, but the big, big three of Islam and, and Judaism and Christianity, uh, for sure, in immensely strong and powerful effects on political beliefs. And I'll just go through one or two of those as I see it, and then I'll uh, sort of let you, uh, let me know what you think of that. Uh, the, f the first and most important is that um, when people believe in a god, they believe that there is some entity out there that's far greater than themselves that doesn't speak to them directly. Of course, you wouldn't need organized religion in any way, shape, or form if God actually existed and spoke to people directly. And so they believe that there's something out there that they have to obey that's much greater than they are, which does not speak to them directly, but rather speaks through uh, other mediums, right, and priests or, or whatever, whoever, the, the person currently speaking in tongues and writhing around on the floor of the Baptist church or whatever. So uh, people believe that there's this great entity out there that, that can tell them what to do and that uh, only speaks to certain people and not others and so on. And that translates to me in a secular way into uh, the existence of uh, a state, right, a sort of centrally coercive uh, authority that has people who know so much more than we do, uh, and that the social good, right, in Christianity would call, be called the will of God, and in democracy it's called the social good, that this great institution, uh, God or, or the state, is full of people who are so much wiser than we are, and there's this thing called the social good that they interpret and enforce upon us in the same way that there's something called the will of God that priests interpret and uh, enforce upon us. So I would say, I mean, just, just for those who are not aware of this aspect of at least my approach to uh, the examination of the truth, that uh, I am um, uh, not a fan of a government-centered uh, society, that I very much am interested in exploring the possibilities of living without a state, right, and sort of how that might work. So I would say that uh, certainly historically the big three religions have been very central in the maintenance and expansion of state power. And, of course, it really was only after a thousand years of, you know, cultural suicide after the end of the Roman, uh, the fall of, the Ro fall of Rome, uh, through to the 200 years of, you know, slaughterhouse religious warfare that uh, came along with the uh, Gutenberg press and the Reformation, the Lutheran Reformation. Uh, when everyone got their hands on the Bible, began interpreting it themselves, and then began to try and grab control of the state to enforce their view of religion on everyone else, the Calvinists, the Zwingalians, the Lutherans, the Anabaptists, the Catholics, and all that. And then after 200 years of, you know, cross-European uh, slaughter, uh, they separated the church and the state because they realized that it, with the multiplicity of religions, you simply can't have a state. Now, historically, the people in the government, particularly the aristocrats, have always relied on the priests to tell people that obeying the state is a virtue. And, of course, you don't hear any shortage of this from people like George Bush, who says that he's been put there by God, and he has lots of priests in America who say that to obey the secular authority is the equivalent of obeying God. That this is a, a, an enormous powder keg of runaway executive power, of course, where you have people who believe 
that the political leader is the will uh, is the expression of the will of the most perfect and divine being, and that obedience to that political leader is bounded by no human ethics, no reciprocal moral obligations, but is simply a blind obsequience to a perfectly divine being. So, one of the reasons that I focus on the question of religion uh, is because I am very much afraid of politics. Right? <laughs> you know, atheists don't often do very well when religious people get a hold of, of power, and religious people do want to get a hold of power because. Since there is no God, uh, nobody's talking to anyone. There's no God who's talking to anyone. But if, if you think, and I don't mean you, but if, if you think that somebody like a priest or a politician knows so much better than you do what's true and how to run your life and how to live your life, then there is a great temptation to simply slide into this kind of obedient uh, goose step uh, with, with regards to secular and religious power. So I do think that religion is a very... Uh, potent fuel behind the sort of rising uh, size and power and uh, sort of scary uh, monopoly of power that the government represents. So uh, let me know what you, you think of that very brief, uh, Chair. Thank you very much, Stefan. I, I really appreciate uh, the open-minded way in which you're, you're discussing and presenting your, your views on this. Um, I, I find a, a great deal of broad agreement with you. Um, I think one of the things that I, I've got as a problem is that, you know, religion is a belief in God and people who say they speak with God's authorities, it's like top trumps, you know, you, you can't beat that. You know, if, you, if you've if got, uh, frankly, political leaders, whether they're, uh, shall we say, a pope or a president or a prime minister saying, God told me this, as an ordinary citizen, we can't top that. So it's a way that I find that political leaders co-opt authority that perhaps they, they lack themselves for this. I also find that there's such a, a broad range of opinion within beliefs. You find different factions within any religion are fighting for control and predominance in the history of it. For example, the Catholic Church is a real example of that. So I'm finding also that Things often gravitate because of all of these factors towards authoritarianism, you know, towards the big father figure uh, that says, you know, obey me, I'm the one true channel from God. And I, I also think there is there is a tendency amongst broad populations of, of people who, who many of them, if we look around us, you know, are not interested in politics. You know, and they will accede to these um, authority figures. So when you've got a political leader playing a religious card, whether it's uh, an Islamic mullah in Tehran or whether it's a fundamentalist preacher in Northern Ireland or a Baptist in the south, uh, the south of America, you know, this is, these are very potent powers and, and they're very, very good at manipulating people's views and people's visions. So I think... Perhaps, you know, you're right, you know, pick your battles, don't argue with individuals, you know. We need to keep an eye on the broad picture and the dangers, not of religion, but of how a genuine spiritual inquiry that all humanity has can be can be twisted towards people who wish to acquire and maintain power. Um, I, I'd, I'd be interested in your views on this. I mean, yeah, very well put, uh, and not just the parts where you agreed with me, but uh, <laughs> very, very, very well put, uh, very eloquently put, and I, I, I appreciate that. I think that um, 
when you like if you're in America right and I do business in the States so I do get a chance to chat with some Americans and I had some very exciting chats with them when I was just down in New York this last week um, there is this this great challenge right so this is why for me uh, you, you can't have a sort of a half and half uh, kind of uh, religion versus uh, science in, in this approach because there's this sort of question where you say okay so um, uh, George Bush is put there by God right some people say and they and 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 if they don't believe that right then uh, and they're Christians or they're religious then the question is okay did God allow George Bush to do this right and and uh, you know then they have all of these sorts of problems right so and then they say this I've even had conversations with people where they say well you know George Bush is is a bad man and uh, he's put there as a sign of the end times right so so the devil put him there and, and there's really not a whole lot of rational analysis of the nature of power in that. You know, looking at these divine beings who are either standing by and is that good or bad or they're, they put him there and is that good or bad or they, they put him there because they're evil beings like Satan and there's that. And there's not a whole lot of rational analysis of, of what's going on in terms of power. And there's these great shadowy puppet masters in there behind the scenes. You know, for me, it's like George Bush, he's just a guy, right? He's just a guy. And, you know, everyone else is just a guy. I'm just a guy. And I can't for the life of me see why political leaders uh, should ever have the right to tell me what to do, um, you know, any more than I would have them to right to tell them what to do or anything like that. But people have to sort of dissolve their individual egos into some great superstructure, whether it's religion or society or the nation or the race or all of these kinds of things. They have to dissolve themselves into this big superstructure um, for a variety of historical reasons, usually to do with their own childhoods. But if you take away these horrible toys, organized religion, uh, statism, nationalism, uh, racism, uh, all of these uh, patriotism, if you start to take away these toys, people get very mad at you, right? Because they, <laughs> they don't want you to take away these toys. But mm -hmm. it is exactly. that. We, we peel these things back so that people can actually start to deal with each other as individuals rather than as sort of aspects like a single little mirror on a disco ball, aspects of some much larger whole, but we can all be individuals complete within ourselves, negotiating with each other as equals rather than appealing to the mommy-daddy in the sky situation or in the state situation and not dealing with each other as competent individuals. Yeah, I, I, I think you're hitting the nail on the head, as we say. Um, there are all sorts of very good reasons and, and all sorts of well-known and documented psychological reasons why people do subserviate themselves to all kinds of authority, whether it be temporal or spiritual. Um, we all would like sorry, to have a sense... Sorry, always starts with the family. Yeah, I, I was listening to the speaker previous to the last one, and you know, I, I could understand and relate to so much of my own upbringing. I was very fortunate. Is that I was brought up in a Christian family, and I, I felt that my Christians had a, a genuine parents had a, a genuine and, and a devout belief. And what did it for me was I, I looked around at the other Christians, and I saw that their beliefs weren't devout and they weren't real. And that's what got me asking questions. But, you know, it it does all, like all of life, it, it begins in the family. But I, I'm more interested in, in in the larger picture of how this affects society. You know, we, we've got a situation, I was watching some analysis of the election results in the United States, uh, when they were saying that basically, if, if you don't go around saying you're a Christian, 
you can't get e elected. Sure. And, and then, of course, the problem isn't that you can say you're a Christian because, how can I put it, there's all sorts of different types of Christians from the gentle Quakers to the hard, you know, fire and brimstone speakers. But I'm finding that in all religions, and I find the same sort of thing happening in Islam as well, is that the gentle, moderate voices aren't being listened to and people are gravitating to the people who've got these very hard convictions, these very fundamentalist views, the I'm right, this is a simple answer to everything that's going on. And I find that very dangerous for, for the whole of society. Um, right. One, one, one broad example before I, I hand back to you would be over the Iraq war, where George Bush and Tony Blair have, have both admitted publicly that they prayed and they, they took what they saw as God's view before they went into war. And converse to that, um, I saw that both the head of the uh, Church of England and the Pope were both against the Iraq war and both thought it right. would be sinful. The wrong number. So either God suddenly stopped talking to the representatives of his church and started talking to politicians, or politicians have completely co-opted this. Um, right. So this is what I'm worried about. It's not about individual people. It's about the broader political situation that we live in. Okay, Stefan, back no, to you. No, you're absolutely right. And, and, and this issue of, of the war has occurred. There's quite a fierce debate on the boards at Freedom Aid Radio, which is, I think, a very, very instructive and, and powerful debate. And the question really is, it sort of centers around, around this. Either, A, the political leaders who use religion to justify genocide, either, A, they genuinely are religious people who genuinely believe that voices in their head are telling them to go and kill hundreds of thousands of people. Right? Mm -hmm. My wife's a psychologist. If she gets somebody who comes to her office and says, a voice in my head is telling me to kill hundreds of thousands of people, well, she's kind of obligated to tell the authorities. Right? This is somebody who's making genocidal death threats and is obviously very mentally ill. So yep. either A, the people who are in power are genuinely hearing these voices in their head in which case they're psychotic. I mean, if you're hearing voices telling you to kill people yep. and you've got nukes, that's not a good situation, right? I mean, any private, and you just have to apply the test of universality. If you're on a bus with someone and they turn and tell you, did you hear that? I just, I just heard this voice with a vaguely Scottish accent tell me to kill you, right? You're not going to say, hey, you'd be a great leader for the country. <laughs> I mean, that wouldn't be the approach that you would take, right? Exactly. So either they genuinely do hear these voices, in which case they're mentally ill, or they don't hear any of these voices and they simply say whatever is going to um, get people to uh, let them do what they want to do, right? So if they say they, ha you know, if they say they have to pray to Zeus, or they have to, you know, if they have to do naked breakdancing, uh, you know, on on yeah. platforms filled with ducks, they'll do that. Whatever it is, whatever the prejudices of the people are that will enable them or allow these people to do what the hell they want to do. They'll just say whatever crap comes in and is part of the general. So, and to me, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter either way. Because, uh, of course, we don't know what's going on in Tony Blair's head. I don't suspect a lot, but uh, mm -hmm. we don't know. We don't know what's going on in George Bush's head. There's no omniscience. But yeah. I certainly would say that the fact that they can say all of this shit 
and get away with it and that people will let them go ahead and do it because they've invoked the word God is an indication that religion has become a pretty dangerous force. Yeah. Okay, well, Stefan, I'd like to uh, thank you for letting me have the opportunity for this uh, conversation with you. Um, I'll be around again, and I'm, I'm certainly interested in carrying on hearing uh, your voice and your, your podcast. And I think I'd like to just hand it over to uh, whatever uh, your other listeners have. Thank you very much, Stefan. Well, thank you. Uh, excellent, excellent questions. I really appreciate that chat. Thank you so much. All right. We, um, are, uh, I'm, you know, we have a lot of people in, and I absolutely hugely appreciate that. Um, and uh, so I'm going to unmute, uh, just in case anybody else had any questions or comments about this, you know, very, very essential topic. And now we just wait for Skype to come back. All right, the mics are all open. If anybody has any questions, if you could just let me know what your um, uh, handle is, then I can uh, we can do a one-on-one. -on -one. Hello. 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 Yes, hello. 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 Oh. Oh. Hello. How are you? Hi, this is Stefan Molyneux. I'm fine. How are you doing? Can you hear me? Yeah. I don't think that. Because she gets such a big I'm very busy. Can you hear Hello. Yo. Yeah. Whoever tells me their name first. Get the next chance. I'm sorry, was that with a Q? Okay, if there are no other questions, no problem. We'd be gone for two hours. Hi, Stefan. I'm going to try and make it second. Sure. If I go check it, that's a big box. Hi Stefan. 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 I just don't know why people have the time to do this. It's just amazing to me. Uh, okay, I'm just going to check the window. I'm sorry that if I didn't get to you, um, uh, and if you had questions, I'm just going to have to um, uh, not to go to the general Skypey chat thing. Uh, is there any other questions that have come in there? Oh, okay, okay. I think uh, we have... Uh, you know what we, we should do? Well, maybe we should switch. There's some applications where you get to raise your hand, and I know that that's sort of ridiculous because uh, – what was the name? Uh, I don't know. Uh, if, if anyone knows, that would be excellent. I don't know if there's any way uh, – yeah, we're just, just going to do a test here. Christina requests to speak. Oh, yeah, there it is. Oh, look at that. How exciting. All right, so if you're still in the show, appreciate that. If you want to speak, uh, what did you click there? Ask for microphone. God, that doesn't take it away from me, does it? It's my lifeline. It is my oxygen. <laughs> if you have uh, a question or a comment, if you can click on request the microphone. My God, I can't believe I didn't even notice that. Ah, okay, we do have a gentleman who's just no mentioned something here, so... Uh, the gentleman with the fine name of Poltergeist. And this is actually very interesting because 
we have actually been talking about whether or not supernatural beings exist, and we do actually have a gentleman by the name of Poltergeist, so maybe he can tell us what the view is from the other side. Can you see him? I can't see him at all. No? Okay, I'm so sorry. I'd love to have you speak, Mr. Poltergeist, but I can't find you in the Skype window. So if, you, uh, if anybody has a question or a comment uh, before we close off for the day, then if you could click on the request microphone, I'd appreciate that, and then I can sort of unmute you. Uh, other than that, though, um, I'm sure that I've talked enough for just about everybody. Uh, okay, uh, Thomas, I'm going, sorry, I'm just going to go down the list who happens to whoever happens to be here. So uh, just wait for a moment, and we'll wait for Skype to kick in. Did he actually do? All right, I got him. Yeah, no, sorry. Um, are you there, Thomas? Yeah, I'm here. Can you uh, hear sorry, me? Go ahead. Can you hear me? I sure can. Um, you referred to religion as this, if I got this right, you referred to religion uh, as a sign rather than uh, believing you referred to it as the scientific method. Is that correct? Uh, you're breaking up just a little bit. Could you just repeat the question, please? Um, you referred religion to the scientific method. Uh, what do you mean by that? It was, and I'm sorry to, to keep asking you this. Did you, uh, did you mean to say that I compared religion or that I preferred religion to the scientific method? You referred it to, I believe, is what you said. Uh, no, I certainly would say that religion uh, is the complete opposite of the scientific method, and that the scientific method is a valid way of achieving uh, objective and real truth, which is really the only truth there is about the world, and uh, that uh, uh, religion, because it relies on revelation and faith, is the exact opposite of the scientific method and therefore has no truth value whatsoever. So you're saying that the theory of evolution, well, theory of mankind and evolution, you're saying that's the valid thing rather than basing it that, you know, God created everything. That's what you're trying to say. Well, I'd say, I mean, I'm, I'd, I'd refine that just a little bit insofar as I would say that the methodology by which we answer questions has got to involve logic and evidence and not superstition and uh, fantasy. So I'm not going to say that evolution is the final answer. I'm no biologist, but I will say that evolution is a superior method, like the scientific method which has produced the theory of evolution is a far superior methodology, infinitely better methodology for determining truth from falsehood relative to faith and fantasy and superstition, which does nothing but sort of destroy minds and destroy knowledge. Well, I can kind of see what you're saying, but have you ever, uh, there's prophecies out there. Um, one of them has to do with Babylon, and you can uh, look at that kind of with the terrorist attack. Um, that, that's kind of coming true, and I mean, it, you can kind of see that uh, the prophecies that are in the Bible are actually coming true, and you can actually see that it's all true. But uh, I'm not going to try to uh, say that you're wrong, because everybody has their own opinion on the religion. I mean, religion's uh, one of the biggest questions you can uh, get out there in the world today. Um, I just wanted to clear that up. It was kind of going in my mind. Uh, no, I appreciate that. Now, so what you're saying, and look, I appreciate the, the approach that you're taking here. Um, uh, so let me ask you, for you, the Bible has a, a certain extra degree of validity because it, it, has, it has made predictions which have come true. Yeah, well, you have to see them. 
smile. I can't quote. I can't quote exactly. Uh, exactly. What the no, I, I understand that. I'm not going to sort of cross-examine you on no, verse I, by I, verse, but. And I, I appreciate the approach that you're taking, and I think it's quite the right approach to take, which is to say that I'm not going to believe in religion just because someone told me that there's a God, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm going to believe in religion because there's some testable way to check whether it's true or not, right? Because, I mean, you and I both know that a whole bunch of religions have come and gone in the world, right? Yeah. Right? The, 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 the Zeus and Osiris and all these other sorts of people, and there's this North mythology, North mythology, ancient Chinese religions, there's tons and tons of religions that have come and gone in the world, and so there's no reason to believe that sort of the one that we have right now is the one final truth, despite the fact that all these other ones have come before. So, you know, I want to sort of commend you and applaud you in taking exactly the right approach, which is to say, well, I'm not just going to believe in something because someone told me, but I'm going to apply some sort of criteria to it to find out if it's true or not. And the criteria that you're mentioning is that biblical prophecies uh, seem to be uh, accurate. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, and um, if you want me to, and if you would like me to, I can actually send you stuff, information where it compares the stuff in the Bible to the stuff that's going on today. And, and, and uh, one of them has to do with the attack on Babylon, and you can look at Babylon in the United States. Um, um, uh, the terrorist attack on 9 11, the uh, stuff that went on with the hurricanes down there. Um, Right, right. Now, I just want to ask you sort of two more questions, if you don't mind. The first one is that, given that the Bible is supposed to have been written by divine, a divine being with perfect knowledge, would you say that all of the prophecies would have to be true, or all of the predictions would have to be true, or would there be some sort of wiggle room for errors? The books of the Bible were uh, uh, written by the followers of Jesus Christ. God, um, and the, the prophecies that are in the Bible, I'm not going to say, yes, they're all going to come true, but they are coming true. Um, uh, well, I but there are some, and I, I, I don't mean to sort of jump on you with this, uh, but, but there are some that have definitely not come true, and yeah. the time sort of period has expired, right? So I'm sure you're aware that uh, Jesus Christ himself said, um, as he ascended, uh, sorry, as he uh, ascended to heaven after the, uh, I guess, uh, after three days after being crucified, that Jesus Christ himself said, there are those among you who will not taste of death before I return in all of my glory, right? So uh, he was saying to his human mortal followers, there are those among you who will not taste of death before I come back in all my glory. Now that prediction uh, however much, you know, uh, there may have been predictions that are valid with regards to 9-11, that prediction uh, certainly didn't come true, right? Yeah. Uh, just, uh, yeah. And so, look, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to convince you to be religious or not, but I would just say that if you're going to take the approach and say that there's more truth value in the Bible because there are predictions which come true, you, you certainly need to, the first thing that I do, I and mean, everyone has their own approach, but the first thing that I do when I have a belief that I think is true is I immediately start to look for the opposite evidence, right? So, I mean, I have some pretty wacky beliefs about not having a government and so on, right? So uh, I, I sort of say, okay, well, what, what are all the worst arguments that I could bring to bear on, on this idea? And so the thing that I would be careful of, you know, just sort of from a sort of mental health standpoint, not that I'm saying you're crazy or anything, but just sort of good mental health, is that if you have a belief, it's usually the best thing to do to come up with every conceivable 
uh, argument against that belief, right? That's sort of the scientific method. Could it be explained any other way? If I believe that it's the prophetic power of the Bible that lends it authority, are there any prophecies which haven't come true, right? So I, I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm just saying that that would be a good thing to start with and see if there are any alternate explanations. Okay, yeah, I see what you're saying. Uh, do you do this show often? Like, this is my, I'm new here. Um, do you do this every week or something like that? I sure do. And in fact, if you would like to, I mean, if you if you really want to put some, some voltage into your uh, mind with regards to philosophy, uh, I do run a podcast, and I'm on here every Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock Eastern Standard. Okay. But uh, I do run a podcast, which you can get at uh, www.freedomainradio.com. And uh, so, so if you'd like to dip into some of those, uh, we do talk about religion and so on quite a bit, which might be of considerable interest to you. And if you'd like to, uh, to drop back, we'd certainly like to, I'd certainly like to chat with you some more. Yeah, I'll, now, I'll... we had, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but it's just because I've been going for a fairly long time here and we had other questions. If uh, anybody else has uh, a question or a, a comment that they'd like to make, <coughs> if you would like to um, uh, click on the give me the microphone, was it? Was it? Ask for microphone. Can we change that to beg for microphone? Would that be possible? Well, I want to thank you for your time there, Steph. Thank you so much, uh, and uh, I, hope to, uh, I hope to hear from you again. Thank you so much for dropping by. All right. I'm looking, I'm scanning up and down the list for anybody who has a question or an issue. Um, I don't want to drag this into the wee hours, but uh, if there is enough enthusiasm for the topic, I'm certainly uh, always happy to chat uh, about, uh, about uh, philosophy and religion. Uh, so I'm just looking up and down. If anybody else has any questions or issues, if you can just click on Ask for Mike, uh, I would really appreciate that. Yeah, so it's some very exciting. People come and then they go. <laughs> it's like everyone's simultaneously logging in and logging out of Skype. It's kind of funny. All right. Well, listen, then, I'm not going to uh, drag it out. If people are content with the uh, topics that we've had so far, I really appreciate everyone's time uh, to listen to these, of course, very, very – oh, we do have one. Luke, I am your father, uh, wants to say something. Uh, now, are you going to do the breathing or, uh, like, there's a, are you going to do that, uh, that uh, asthmatic thing or uh, – Yes, Luke. Uh, go ahead. Oh, hi. Hi, how's it going? That's going good. Did I click on the right icon, or have I completely startled you and you're having dinner now? Oh, no, I'm all right. Well, so, uh, what's your favorite color? What's my favorite color? Yeah. Uh, I would say probably on the blue side of things. Blue's good. Blue's good. All right. Uh, is there anyone else who had any other questions? <laughs> Maybe a little more around religion. <laughs> All right. I think I did see somebody else's. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I'm never sure exactly how often Skype refreshes this kind of stuff. So. Which? Love to live. All right. Love to live. That seems like a good principle. Let me just see if I can't find it. I wish you could sort these things by uh, alphabetical. Do, 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 do. I'll just keep singing till I find it. <laughs> uh, love to live? Ah, oh, there we go. Oh, yeah, no, 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 no. Uh, okay, love to live dot, uh, info. Did you have a question? Hi there. Are we hearing each other? Hi, how's it going? I'm sorry? Are we hearing each other? 
You bet. Go ahead. Okay. Um, when you talk about this God being always set up from self. And that I'm sorry, could you just say that again? You've broken up a little bit. And the conversation seems to be very much about a God which is separate from ourselves. Yes. So wouldn't there be a God which is not separate from ourselves? Whereby and the and the God in us or the good in us as being that God or that good? Now, do you mean a non-biological or a non-material-based aspect of herself, like a soul or a conscience? Or I just want to make sure I understand what, what you mean. Right. And the mind itself and that intelligence, for us to have an intelligence, surely it is then and connected in some way and to a higher intelligence, which is an overall intelligence, that's which we are all part of. Well, I, I mean, I certainly think that's an interesting idea. Uh, I, I've not sort of seen any evidence for it, and certainly in my sort of travels around the world talking about... In your own mind. I've, in your own mind is evidence itself. Your mind, your own intelligence would say there is an overall intelligence that we're all that are connected to that gives us all light and existence. Well, I thought I'd get that kind of stuff from Luke. I am your father, but... I certainly do uh, understand what you're, where you're coming from, but I, I, I certainly have no experience uh, of this uh, collective intelligence or a part of a sort of larger mind. You have experience of, of your own intelligence. That in itself is representative of uh, higher intelligence, your own intelligence, our own intelligence. Our intelligence is something well, you can't I would, yeah, quantify, can you? But it's there. I certainly understand uh, that. Uh, I certainly understand where you're coming from, but I think you're going to have the danger of, uh, you know, you may or may not know the term, but I'll explain it for those who haven't heard it before, that, you know, there's a term in philosophy called the tautology, right? So uh, when I was a debater, uh, when I was a, in school, um, we were always taught about tautologies, right? So you want to make sure that you don't define something as, uh, as, as equivalent, right? So if I say I have a certain form of human intelligence and you say to me that that's the equivalent of God, then you are defining God as the presence of human intelligence. But that's a tautology, right? So you say, well, what is God? God is human intelligence. Uh, you, it's a circular definition. You're just saying, what I would call human intelligence, you're calling God. And I don't think that we've proved the existence of anything that we don't already believe in. You believe in existing intelligence, as do I. But uh, I would certainly not, not say that that's added anything new to the content, if that makes any sense. <laughs> right, so you've taken it somewhere, you've taken it somewhere, whereby it's that reverence or respect we have, which is like intelligence. We have intelligence, humbly enough, that surely there's intelligence which is the source of our intelligence, where we got our intelligence from, our ability to think and to be and aware that we exist, we are alive, and to have this appreciation of life, and to see life as a miracle in itself more than, and, and disregarding it, and taking it for granted, and misusing it, and simply living out of harmony, out of harmony and as with life, because they don't understand what life's about, and their purpose of life is, and to know yourself that our purpose here 
which we all strive for is peace and the peace of mind. Well, I'm certainly not going to be somebody who argues against peace and peace of mind. I mean, I think you and I are together on that, brother, and I certainly applaud you for the sentiments. I mean, I'm absolutely with you there. Peace and peace of mind, uh, harmony, respect for life. I'm not sure that I would say that life is a miracle, because if it is, it's a miracle that very often goes very nastily wrong with illnesses and so on. But I certainly would agree with you that it is a virtue and a beautiful thing in life to have reverence for uh, existence, to have respect for other human beings. But... Again, I want to sort of understand, do you believe that that comes from an external entity or agency like the Christian Not Christian external, not external. I'm not separate from ourselves, no. But part okay. of ourselves. Is it, is it material? Is it, and, is it material and the good in the within. same way that... Okay, okay. So what you would define as, say, a striving for virtue or a striving for benevolence or compassion or uh, courage, uh, the virtues, so I'm sure you and I would be able to agree on the lot of the virtues, that you believe that the desire for an achievement of virtue is to participate in something that is divine. And to be in harmony and your natural nature, which is... Right, right. So to be with your true self, to be authentic, right. to be Right, and a balance, a balance whereby that's what we're striving to do. You can go to and, to and those two extremes, but it's that gray area, the middle, the balance, which has harmony. And right. yeah, not right. to go to the great extremes which a lot of beliefs end up going. It's either right. you know, life or death sort of thing. It it's a balance that at both plays its part but neither is dominant over the other. I, I perfectly agree with you, and I think that to some degree you may be talking about uh, what's sometimes called the mean or the Aristotelian mean, which is that you want to find a balance between two extremes, that if you have too much courage, you're kind of foolhardy, and if you have too little courage, you're kind of like a coward, so you want to get something in between. And obviously we don't want to totally dominate and destroy nature as a species, but at the same time we want to have enough control over nature to say not have our children die of, of infections and so on. This is sort of a balance in life that's quite a challenge for individuals and also for, for societies. I think, I mean, I think that you and I are, agree about a lot of things. I'm just not sure what the addition of the word God adds to that debate about virtue and balance. Well, and let's play with words. And God is really that missing O, which is the good within us, that creative force within us, that positive vibes, that, uh, and what uh, creates it's that good that's within us, that and and that giving nature, that helping nature, that that um, right. humanity, I suppose you can say that. Right now, and I I agree with you, and I I agree with you that all of those things are powerful and important, and I would say though that in describing it as a desire for virtue and humanity and so on, that it doesn't do. Uh, a lot to clarify what you want to get across, which I certainly understand, right? Because when you say, you know, that the God is, is, is within us and so on, uh, some people are going to interpret that very differently. But if you say striving for balance and harmony and so on, I think that you're going to communicate what it is you want to communicate more clearly. I think if you bring divinity into it, then it, it muddies what I think is a very essential thing that you want to get across, if that makes any well, sense. Well, I think it's a, a evolutionary and process is evolution in motion. It's where evolution is about and things improving and getting better, being refined, reaching to a more higher level of existence. It's a, it's a, that development from 
something that is primitive and to something that's more advanced. And so, as if in us all there is good, some more than others, and that's about how brightly that you let it really shine, so to speak. It's like, and we're instruments, and it's basically some are shining more than others, and it's those which are not shining we need to help shine. And, those, and so it helps those are still shining and let's, let's keep it shining let's keep it bright it's the light within you can go and along the term of and divine energy light of the whole universe it's that energy it's a positive energy which and creates as we see around us well I'm not going to disagree with you that sounds like a beautiful vision and I certainly appreciate that uh, that feedback now, is there uh, anybody else who wanted to uh, jump in before uh, we close the show down? If you wanted to yank the mic, uh, feel free to raise your hand just now, or uh, you may want to join this gentleman uh, with his uh, self-medication. Uh, it is um, a uh, oh, self-medication. Did you uh, say? Do you call yourself medication? <laughs> absolutely. Look, I mean, I think it's a beautiful thing that you're talking about there. The only thing that I would say is I think you might want to throw a little bit more rigor in. That's what uh, you know, because I mean, these things are all great. But to achieve them is a real challenge, and that's you know part of it. it's like like that's a our purpose saying, in life, surely. That's you. our purpose in life, isn't it? Absolutely, I totally agree with you for sure. And you find but these ones. Like Sorry. Go ahead. And you're about to say go and about a doctor. Well, no, I was just saying. I mean, but a, a little bit. I mean, no, no offense, right? I mean, you're obviously a very smart guy, and I really respect that you've thought a lot about these issues and care very greatly about these issues. But it's the, the challenge is, of course, how to achieve balance and how to achieve rationality and virtue within your life. So a little bit, it's like um, you're saying, you're like a doctor saying, I want everyone to be healthy. And it's like, well, that's great. But how do you get there? That's the real challenge, right? That's, that's, a really, uh, that's the real journey. And so that's what I, uh, that, I mean, that was only sort of the major question that I had about what it is that you were saying. Well, first of all, and there's one of these commandments that the major faith which you don't like to hear about, which they're supposed to follow, which is one shall not kill. And because, and they don't focus on that, and they focus on other issues. And that's why you find centuries of human existence have really not followed in the direction it should, because those who are in the position to lead have not been leading and focusing that one shall not kill and they live in fear of their own life, and they just really embark to the tune of the paymaster more than... Sure, yeah. Yeah? That's more no, focusing. I agree with you for sure. I would say that they have been leading. Uh, they've just been leading us off a cliff, right? Yeah, the wrong way. They've been leading us downhill yeah. and to our own destruction. Right. And, yeah, because, right, right. and they don't respect life, and they talk about it, and they talk about compassion and love and respect. But deep down they don't. It's all words, and their substance is a shallow one. And you know, so, so much so, a everyday habit of eating flesh from a living being that's being killed, which that shows that they don't have compassion for life if they're happy to eat that body part from a living being that's being killed. And that is a reflection right, right. of how deep their compassion is if they're happy to just have their banquets as they do and uh, not see... No, for sure. I mean, they, they, uh, they do respect life. It's just not ours, right? <laughs> they respect life. No, well, they respect our lives about as much as a farmer respects the rights of his cows, right? Well, you know, life in general. And they just don't see that life is to be respected. And, and by killing, you're just and promoting that... 
a notion that we need to kill to survive and, and killing has a place. So they're not following their own commandment that one shall not kill, which sounds, you know, that sounds good. Let's not kill, but yeah. they're happy to and, and promote it and keep it going. Why? Because the biggest business on the planet is the killing business. Where, you know, the arms trade, that's the biggest business on the planet, which fuels the wars. The more wars they have, the more reason for them to keep manufacturing their arms their, and killing machines. And so the a mentality is that killing has a place. It's the biggest business. The movies have the best-selling movies, which are movies packed with killing. And so you can go on with children enjoying their games. And it's all focusing on killing, you know, it's basically accept it, see it as a norm, don't try and change it. It's big business because those in power, you know, see life as cheap and people go into wars not even realizing why they're fighting but because they're being encouraged to see that killing is heroic and glamorous and honorable. Right. The, the pride of the marine, right? The right, yeah. And they're just killing machines. And uh, so when you have the governments happy to have wars because of their and buying and selling and manufacturing of and killing machines, and don't be surprised, on the streets you have the gangsters following suit. And then, you know, right. inside the family home, at home, you know, you find that what's people are fear of is and being threatened that their life will be lost when you have domestic violence where you find, you know, wives and children and mothers being killed and and killing seems to have a place. Well, right. So this is where you well, start. Listen, brother, you've got to uh, you've got to come by and listen to some of the uh, the podcasts that we well, talk about. Uh, one will uh, be a yep, yep. Well, you know, um and for sure, yeah. And, that's, uh, and we need positive vibes to try and make the change to wake up people's thinking and not to just accept this existence, which is what some people push into position like these and religious leaders, like you've mentioned, you know, and at yeah. the end of days, and they want to push into motion to justify their belief when simply it says, one shall not kill. And Jesus came down to show that, you know, we're not here to kill each other. He was killed, but he did not kill back to sort of justify the killing or fight back and then go and take life, yeah, and draw back the sword from the ear that Peter was trying to strike, etc. He's trying not to kill and not to have Well, you know, I, I, gotta, I, I don't want to get into a huge debate here because it's near the end of the show, but okay. um, I, I certainly do uh, respect your respect for life. And look, I mean, you and I are on the same page for what it's worth to you. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you well, that's, you know, and, and the more we're the, the better. Same page as, we have yeah, to, we're on the yeah. same page as far as war goes and so on, but you have to really get uh, digging into your Bible, though, if you believe that uh, Jesus was not uh, an advocate of, uh, of the kind of uh, violence that uh, you and I both despise that is so common within the world. I mean, it's something that you don't get a whole lot from religious people, but uh, there are many, many instances in the Bible in which Christian directly commands that non-believers be killed, or so Jesus commands that non-believers be put to death, and so on. So, uh, you know, I know that there's a um, a sort of uh, a story or a um, a fairy tale on a fairy tale about gentle Jesus, right? That he's kind of like hippie, and he's kind of like John Lennon plus uh, Timothy Leary plus uh, you know a nice guy, long hair, beard, kind of those dewy eyes, and so on. 
But, uh, you know, if you want to dig into the Bible and have a look for these kinds of quotes, you can find them online and so on. I'm not going to sort of repeat them here. But uh, Jesus was uh, not, uh, not a very peaceful guy in the way that he's described in the Bible. He, um, uh, he said, sure, let's be peaceful and so on, but there's plenty of instances in the Bible where Jesus commands that non-believers be put to death, uh, that it's okay to stone an in, uh, a woman who's not uh, uh, faithful and so on. I agree with you that we definitely need to work for a more peaceful world. I mean, that's an ideal that nobody could ever say no to. But I'd be careful. Uh, go to the source. That's all I'm saying. Certainly don't take my word for it, but go to the source. Um, there may be some things that Jesus talks about that may not be part of what you think about in terms of Jesus, but it's something that you may need to dig into because it's important stuff. Okay. Well, it seems like a big contradiction because I think the last commandment that uh, Jesus put down was to love your enemy as yourself so, you know, and kind of took it further and not just love your neighbor but love your enemy which is like you know that there is to show that you're, you ain't going to take on the bad traits of an enemy coming to attack you by and looking to kill them sure. like they're looking to kill you there you just become as right. bad as your enemy so it's basically and killing doesn't have a place, and it's the ideal what uh, we all should be going for. Because from childhood, you know, and for the sake of the children, as you, you know, and sadly, and they, and come into a world where they're easily taken for a ride, whereby they themselves accept killing, and one day may even do it. Because okay, uh, listen, I've got somebody else who just wants okay. to come in. Uh, have a listen, freedomainradio.com. We've got some very interesting podcasts there, which I think might uh, help for you because we're definitely on the same side of the fence. Uh, but uh, I really appreciate your sentiments, and uh, I appreciate your uh, passion towards these ideas, which are very, very important. So uh, there's one gentleman, uh, Chris, who wants to um, uh, sort of finish off or close off the show, and I'm very happy to have him do that. I just can't find you on the uh, list of people who are in the call. So uh, if you would like to uh, sort of tell me who you, uh, who you are, uh, <laughs> that would be good because I can't give you the mic if I don't know who you are. Or you can click on the sort of uh, uh, request the mic and I can uh, uh, click on uh, uh, to unmute you. Anybody? No, can't see him. Can't see him. Is he saying anything in the chat? No. Uh, he's here. Uh -oh. No. Okay, well, listen, uh, maybe you can, uh, oh, 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 okay, okay, sorry, I didn't, uh, I only know people by their handle, okay, um, if you would like to uh, close us off, that would be fantastic, uh, go ahead. I'd love to leave the info, live and let this, oh, it's a free domain, www.freedomainradio.com, go ahead, Chris. Uh, thanks. Um, it's just a question that popped into my head, really. Um, what do you think the origin of religion is? Um, do you think it's basically an offshoot of man's ability to abstract, or um, yeah, yeah? Well, what's your view on the origin of religion? Well, I think that's a fantastic question. I am not even going to attempt to do justice with it, but it would be a good topic to start off since this question of religion does seem to be quite, uh, uh, quite a popular one. Why don't we uh, have a look at that uh, uh, next week? Uh, I think that would be an excellent question to start off with. Uh, I certainly have put some thought into it uh, over the years, so I'd be happy to share what I think, and then we can have a good discussion about it, but uh, I wouldn't try and do it justice uh, just now. Look at that. It's a hook for coming back next week. There we go. <laughs> Come back next week and you can hear me talk some more. <laughs>
and ask some questions. Well, listen, thanks, everyone, so, so much for listening. Uh, it was a fantastic show. Uh, I really appreciate everybody's time and attention to these issues. Uh, it's really wonderful uh, to see the, um, the level of interest in philosophy and uh, in the examination of these kinds of issues. And thank you so much to everybody who participated. And thank you so much for your patience with the technical issues. But uh, the content uh, sometimes is greater than the form. I really, really appreciate it. And I will talk to everyone next week.